This is not a cat. This is not a rocket. And this is not a sale. That's right. At Smarty Mobile, we're not having a sale. While others are slashing prices, we're introducing our best ever new plans. Take our new 30 gig data SIM for just £10 a month. With unlimited calls and texts and no speed restrictions, credit checks or contract tying you down, why shop around? New plans, great value. Now that's Smarty. Grab yours today. Search Smarty Mobile. See smarty.co.uk for terms. Bang. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is more overdue than Chewbacca's medal, but hopefully delivered in a way that makes sense. Unlike Chewbacca's medal. It is of course the spoiler special for the horniest, most sexually active Star Wars film to date. It is of course Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, or should be called just simply Palpatine Fucks. No. That is the that was the rejected title. It yeah. was or the rise of Palpatine. That would have been equally acceptable. Episode nine, Palpatine's thunderous erection. I ge- oh, genuinely, guys, I've just seen this movie for the second time. I've just emerged from the cinema, uh, blinking into the sunlight, and it, it, I was I was kind of a bit surprised by how sexual this movie is. So obviously, as we know, Palpatine fucks uh, Poe Dameron fucks. We knew that BB eight fucks in this movie for the love of God. Wait, um, does he though? I mean, what do you think Dio is? If nothing more than just BB-8's fuck buddy, uh, you know. Oh my god! And then you know you have the no, whole thank you. you have the whole Poe Finn uh, unresolved sexual chemistry thing, and then of course the big kiss at the end with Kylo and, and Poe tries sorry. to fuck Zori Bliss. Well, yeah, from a distance. Yeah, well, from I mean, a he distance, can. <laughs> he can indeed. He can. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Impregnate you with a glance. So we'll talk about that, um, wow. because this is our official spoiler special. We did one before Christmas that was more of a reaction, so uh, I'm joined by two of the people who were also in the booth for the, for that say, not spoiler special, kind of little, yeah, a special in which we spoil things. How about that? <laughs> uh, they, of course, were Helen O'Hara, who's back again. Hello. Ben Travis, who is back again. Hello. Guess who's back? Back again. Ben is back. Hello, Ben. Uh, Ben brings light and balance to the force because Ben is the only person in this room who genuinely likes this movie. He's the chosen one. Just when all hope is lost, a guy called Ben, (laughs) wearing an off-white jumper, runs into the booth to provide some kind of optimism. Were you given um, advice out of the blue by Harrison Ford? In the corridor outside, <laughs> just for no reason whatsoever. It wasn't Harrison Ford, it was a memory of Harrison Ford. Uh, memory. Nope. But joining this, his, as the ancient prophecy once foretold, is <laughs> the fourth member of the team making this an official spoiler special. It is James Dyer, who, and you know, listen, Helen, you know your Star Wars shit. Ben, you know your Star Wars shit. I know my Star Wars shit. And yet, I think it's fair to say that. Mr. Star War, with the exception of Ian Freer, has walked into this building, and it is James Dyer. How are you, James? I am okay. I did not join you in the initial mini-spoiler special because I was not ready to talk about this film at that time. You were having a moment, weren't you? I had a dark night of the soul, and I went and rewatched it after that, and now, having given it time and distance, and, you know, Christmas, I feel I can... Speak about it. You really abandoned the Jedi Order, fled to Akto for some solace. <laughs> I have. For 20 years I've of spent, moping. I've spent decades on Akto with a bunch of porgs, you know, meditating on what went wrong. And uh, I've now come back to, you know, die. 
So did the Christmas spirit warm your heart and make it two whole sizes bigger like the Grinch? No, but let me tell you why. Um, so, uh, I'm, I, I, so I should caveat this. Now, Ben and I have tried on numerous occasions to talk about this film. And every time I have tried to do it in a way that is that is calm and composed and fine. <laughs> and then I start talking and I build up a head of steam and then the, the things burst into flames. I like, I, I'm like, Ben cries. Ben cries. I end up force choking him. I'm like, you know when Kyla has the tantrums with his lightsabers? You would literally just joke him once. <laughs> I have Ren esque tantrums about it. So do I think this is objectively a bad film? No. No, I do not. I would like to say I think it is a nailed on three star film. I think Helen's review was almost perfect. Thank you. Um, so kind. But the thing that I had from this film when I first saw it is it just didn't it didn't resonate with me. It didn't give me the warm and fuzzies. It did not bring me joy. It didn't give me the Star Wars feeling. Now I think I touched on this briefly last year. The Last Jedi was an odd one because I love The Last Jedi objectively, but it doesn't give me the warm fuzzies in the way that The Force Awakens does. The problem with this film here is I didn't love it technically like the, like, like I enjoyed The Last Jedi, but it also didn't give me the warm and fuzzies, so I felt disappointed. And I think, well, it has things in there that I think are, are you know, to be applauded. There are things in there also... That are not to be derided, mm. yes, and to be maybe scrutinised. Uh, but yes. Ben, Ben is here to uh, to try and bring us back on the path if if it feels like we're going to be, yeah. you know, he, Ben's more like the Kiadi Mundi of this podcast. I want him to be the Kiadi Mundi of this podcast, uh, and I don't want if I become Palpatine in any way, or if James becomes Palpatine, or if Helen becomes Palpatine, uh, other Sith Lords are available, then Ben, I want you as Kiadi Mundi to bring us back to the light side of the force. He's, he's bring on. out the second lightsaber. Yeah. I will channel the force lightning back into uh, you. And then die of tiredness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a walking force dyad. What? It's interesting, no, but I think, I think to point out here, and I have spoken to many, many Star Wars fans about this film. Some people casual, like yourself, Ben. I only call you casual because you were like born during the prequels. Uh, but 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 you know, lots of people who have truly love Star Wars genuinely love Rise of Skywalker, and it has resonated with them, and it has brought them joy. So that weirdly made me reevaluate this more because I mm. came out of thinking, okay, objectively, this is not what we wanted from the final film mm. in this saga. And then other people who do love Star Wars have found that in it. So it's it's quite contentious in that regard I do wonder if the problem is lies with me as well you're a husk of a man well I do wonder a little bit about that because Star Wars was my thing growing up yeah Yeah, it was I was a huge and and still am a huge Star Wars fan and I I love the most of the movies (laughs) but this trilogy even though I think The Last Jedi is is very very good film uh, and I think it's the best of the trilogy by A Country Mile the new trilogy by A Country Mile and I think it actually takes risks not just in terms of because J.J. does the same thing with this movie there are things in this movie stylistically that have never been in a Star Wars film before things like flashbacks and whatnot, like proper flashbacks but The Last Jedi takes risks thematically it takes risks uh, from a storytelling point of view and I applauded that as well but I don't revisit these films. I don't like The Force Awakens very much, and I I don't revisit it. I said on the regular podcast that I saw The Rise of Skywalker today for the second and last time. I have no intention of seeing this film again. I don't watch The Last Jedi. I don't I don't go home and go, what should I watch today? I'm going to stick on The Last Jedi. And so I wonder if the problem lies with me a little bit, that I haven't connected with these characters, you, I haven't connected with this trilogy. You close yourself off from the Force, that's you, your problem. Maybe there, I have there, a little bit. There may be an element of that. There may be an element that these are about as coherent, in some respects, as the original trilogy was. But we're coming into this as adults 
who think about film all day, every day. We're holding these to a set of standards of, that yeah. we didn't hold the original Instead of trilogy tiny, to. tiny children. Yeah, absolutely. And, and therefore they got us on an emotional level as tiny, tiny children in a way that they will not. Now, there might be an element of that going on. I'm willing to entertain that notion. Oh, I then, also think there's some really bad storytelling decisions. Yeah. But then also you have to bear in mind, we were ostensibly professional film critics when at least two of the prequels came out. And one of us. One of you gave So, do you know what I mean? So I'm not sure that's necessarily... Like, I, I, I love The Force Awakens. I do think it is plays it very, very safe, but it gave me everything I wanted from that film and mm. I came out of it like, you know, Christmas morning. I was thrilled to bits with it for yeah. all its flaws. Uh, the Last Jedi, I think... I agree with everything Chris said. I think it's brilliant. Uh, I think it takes loads of chances. And it, it, for me, that was a vision of what the future of Star Wars could be. And I think there are moments in that film of dramatic brilliance. Like there's a bit where, where Luke's talking to Ray about the nature of the Force on Arcto. And it's just beautifully acted, beautifully shot, wonderfully written. The dialogue is great, which is unusual for a Star Wars film. Um, and I think a lot of that stuff, which I thought was great, is lost in this. Now, when I interviewed JJ for the feature for this, one of the things I asked him was, you know, obviously Ryan undid a lot of the stuff you set in motion when he did The Last Jedi. Huh, that sucks. You know, what are you going to do about that? And he made a point of saying that he never went into Rise of Skywalker uh, looking to course correct or undo anything. <laughs> Bollocks! That's, <laughs> Ryan that's just, Johnson did. I mean, that's just bullshit. Oh, God. Sorry, guys, I've still got this. That cough is really lingering. I've had it all over Christmas and New Year's. It's really lingering. Really terrible. It's really nasty cough. You should yeah. go to your doctor about that. Yeah, I should. Um, and he made a point of saying that, now, I would never call JJ a liar. So I will simply say that objectively <laughs> watching this film, that is not the impression, perhaps, that it gives. It feels to me... <laughs> Legally, that's probably better than what I did. <laughs> oh, God. It feels like the only thing from The Last Jedi that he genuinely embraced was the bond between Rey and Kylo Ren. They obviously liked that and they leaned into that, but every other decision yeah. seems to have been reversed. The Holdo maneuver. They've also kept the Holdo maneuver. <laughs> but they maneuver. threw that away. Like They gave that properly short shrift yeah. and then fucking... Like that's the point where they said, "Oh, that was a one in a million. And then you see it happen again. again. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. Sorry, I'm doing it. I'm I'm already going off the rails. No, come <laughs> rain it in, James. Rain it in. Come rain on, it in. Don't do give this. in to the dark side. You Strike do me down with your anger and your janitor. Sorry. Um, <laughs> with your what? <laughs> your genitals. <laughs> I tell you guys, wow. this movie is horny as fuck. Okay, well, let's horny talk about cats. Let's talk Palpatine about Dameron then. Oh, yeah. okay, sorry. Let's, um, talk, let's talk about Palpatine. Let's talk about uh, yeah. Let's, yeah. the elephant in the room, the Sith Lord in the corner. Is that what he calls his penis? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no, he calls it Force Lightning. Shooting from absolutely everywhere, not just his hands. Oh, no. Do you think he, do you think he no. comes lightning? No. Almost certainly. Well, Unlimited power! That's what he says when he's popped a Fagra. <laughs> Rise. No, please no? stop. <laughs> oh, okay, God. let's talk about Palpatine. Yeah, let's talk about Palps. Uh, anything other than that, please, if possible. But um, I just... I understand that they killed Snoke and then he's like, oh, we need a big bad who isn't Kylo Ren, apparently. And I'm, I'm just wondering, wouldn't it have been more interesting if it was Kylo Ren? 100%. Or even, you know, the First Order kind of calcified around Kylo Ren as represented by Pride, um, Richard E. Grant's character. You know, there could have been a sort of, Kylo Ren's been off looking for Rey, and the First Order's just gone, like, to shit without him. Pride has kind of taken over, is running the show. Like, that would have been interesting. You can still have a gigantic fleet of ships that are threatening the whole galaxy, I'm not sure you need to bring back Palpatine mm. to do that. I, and, I, and I, agree I, with you. I guess I get why they thought they needed a big mystical baddie for 
reified at the end, but couldn't that mystical baddie have been Ben? I feel yeah. like if they'd leaned into the, the the core thing that 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 Ryan sets up is the idea that you don't need to be born into greatness. Anyone can aspire to greatness, and that's a great message, and it works really well. And JJ clearly didn't get on with that so the parentage thing comes back once again mm. you know I don't think bringing back the Knights of Wren is necessarily the worst thing in the world yes Ryan really? had no interest but then from this film it feels like JJ didn't have a great deal of interest anyway it was probably mandated by Hasbro anyway the the Palpatine thing feels like it, it missed a trip like I think at the end of that you've got this wonderful setup where Kylo Ren has embraced his dark side and then this film gives you a chance to explore his redemption but also gives you a chance to explore Rey's dalliance with the dark side which yeah. is teed up in mm. Lost Jedi as well and that is given beyond the, the the transport being blown up really really lip service like you see dark ray but it's not really a plot point no. and i think those two things should have been the spine of this film and it would have made for a much more human a much more into much more surprising film she says for example she, she says to finn at one point oh, i had this vision uh of of the the sith throne and sitting on it was kylo ren but also me as well i thought it would be more interesting how we actually seen the vision mm. there's an awful lot that happens at the edges of this movie or or just before the movie begins we, 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 as with most Star Wars we begin in media res but you know the the I would have liked to have seen I think the Palpatine broadcasting is a bad idea mm-hmm. but it would have been nice speak. it would have been nice to see it and as we said in the last one I do not want to try and repeat too much of what we said last time so apologies if we do stray into some stuff we said last time as well but I do wonder if the Palpatine thing was just a bit of a misjudgment and whether there could have been more mystery about whether it actually was Palpatine. And the thing is, once it became clear that it was Palpatine, he basically doesn't do anything new. There's no character development mm-hmm. there. He just sits there and, and, and it says sets a whole bunch up, of stuff. It sets up a denouement, which is exactly the same as in uh, the Return of the Jedi. So you have that incredibly clever setup in Return of the Jedi where you've got these three people in the throne room and whichever two of them team up are going to determine the fate of the galaxy. So if Vader sticks mm. with the Empire, Emperor or Luke goes with the Emperor, then the other one dies and those two rule the galaxy. If Vader and Luke team up, then the Emperor dies and the Empire comes crumbling down. It's a really, that's a good dramatic setup. And they just do exactly the same thing again. Mm. What the fuck? But also it sets him up as a, he's in a no-lose position. Because if Ray strikes him down for any reason, yeah. that's exactly what he wants. So how can she but, possibly but, beat him? Okay, and but here you've stumbled into, I would say, the biggest problem with this film, and that is that the entire plot makes fucking zero sense. Because Palpatine's plan, it, you can't, you almost can't even lay it down on paper. So Palpatine clones Snoke and essentially controls Snoke as a kind of proxy, and as Snoke trains up Kylo Ren and tries to kill Rey directly and fails. But and, yeah, he doesn't want to kill Rey directly. Oh, he says, but, well, later on he retcons that, yes. But So he tries to kill Rey, he tries to get Ren to kill Rey, instead Ren kills him. And it's at some point earlier on, presumably, he tries to get Rey to himself, and that's why her, her parents hide her. Yeah, so he's tried to get Rey originally, that's the thing, and that's why her parents hide her, and then he tries to get Ren to kill Rey, and then once Snoke has been got rid of, then he gets Ren to come to him to tell him to kill Ray, not to get Ray, but to kill Ray. And if he just wanted someone to strike him down in terms of the dark side, I mean, Kylo Ren is right there. Anyway, so he goes to get him, he said, kill Ray. So he goes and gets Ray and brings Ray to him. So he's, Ray, I need you to kill me. But then he doesn't actually want her to kill him. He ends up then draining her life force from the diet in the force, which he didn't seem to understand what it was, even though he created it via the Snoke proxy. And at this point, you're just like, 
What? What is happening? It almost feels like the, uh, Palpatine wasn't in this movie until about a year and a half ago. But it really and does. Did, yeah. He, yeah. did he create the dyad? How did he create he the He created the dyad because he, via Snoke, which was his proxy because mm. he cloned him and presumably controlled him, Snoke created the dyad when he joined uh, Rey and okay. Ren in the Force. But it get, I get the impression, certainly from me, that he... When he did that, he didn't really understand what a dyad was. He was giving them a force bomb. The dyad, I guess, was an unexpected side there's, effect. There's a confusing thing in online where it suggests that the dyad relates to the Sith two at once thing. I yeah, I think that's that's extrapolation. Okay. I'm not sure that's that's right. a thing. Always two there are. Yeah. They apparently yeah. that applies to wayfinders I, as well. I don't necessarily mind that they're they're you know expanding the mythology around the force. So force healing, which is something I guess which has been dallied with in in, in the expanded universe, that mm. was not canonical. Except Baby Yoda apparently does it in Mandalorian, the episode that was released the week of the film, which yeah. they actually brought the air date of that episode forward to Wednesday, so that it was out and therefore canon before the film came out. But let's just, <laughs> really yeah. So but let's just gloss over that, shall we? So apparently, Amazing. oh look, we can heal this. What is it? It's not a snake. It's a sandworm. From it's Dune. a sandworm from June. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, therefore, everyone can heal everyone. But then you think, okay, so now force healings are thin. So now we're just forced to assume that Obi-Wan Kenobi is just a massive bellend who didn't like Kyla uh, Qui-Gon Jinn at all and just let him die. Do I understand that part of the thing with the Force Dyad, which is not particularly explained in the film, is that that is an extra thing that flows between Rey and Ben? Well, they seem to of... they seem to share a force bond that essentially makes them a single force entity. Like mm. it's a it's there's a weird thing there. But that's not where the force kills, healing comes she from. She still heals the snake thing. So. Yeah, and mm. also Baby Yoda doesn't have a force dyad. He does. So not. you know, the Palpatine thing is is really strange because why does he announce his presence to the whole galaxy? Why does he do that? Well, presumably to just... get Kylo Ren to come to him so that he can tell him to kill Ray, even though he doesn't want him to kill Ray. Oh. He wants. Yeah, you, you see that. But yeah, but there's there's one thing. You know, Ben, please by all means do bring light to the the force here. But there is one thing. I, I remember you when you interviewed JJ at Celebration, mm. and they had just released the trailer, mm. and the trailer ends. The first trailer ends with Palpatine laughing and everyone yes. going, "Is Palpatine in this movie?" And Ian McDermott was actually at Celebration. Everyone's going, "Hang on, this is a fake out. What's what's happening? How is he bringing Palpatine back? What's going on?" And you interviewed JJ, and you were like, "What's Palpatine? What's going on with that?" And for once, he didn't do the mystery box stuff. Mm. He just went, they "Well, to it. Yeah. yeah." He said, "Yeah, Palpatine's in the movie. How many?" And I'm paraphrasing wildly here. Uh, how many major series like this can you think of that kill their main bad guy with three films to go and don't bring him back? That's and not a good thing. But, but, but no, that's not my point. My point is. This is a series that kills its protagonist six films in. It's because the protagonist of these movies is Anakin Skywalker, mm. is Darth mm. Vader. And so why do they bring Palpatine back for this movie and not Anakin slash Darth Vader, who has a bigger impact on the psychology of one Everyone. of its main characters, uh, yeah, Kylo Ren particularly, obviously, that, that, that seems strange to mm. me that they wouldn't have tried in some way to do something with Vader in this movie. Chris Terrio has talked quite a lot uh, <laughs> to good and ill uh, <laughs> about their sort of their, their their storytelling technique in this. One of the things he did mention was that they had originally not front loaded as much into the crawl. That mm. a lot of that played out in the film. So they recorded the Emperor's message, for example, uh, and then they decided, you know what, they wanted to put more of this plot in the crawl. They wanted to feel more like uh, a New Hope. They wanted to drop you right into the middle of the action. So if you were playing Fortnite the game Fortnite during the Star Wars event, you got to hear Palpatine's message live in the game. Oh, Hot fact for you there. That is absolutely mental. Yeah. I do I do like, though, the way that the film does start 
by throwing you into sort of Ben's quest to find the little wayfinder thing. I love how you call him Ben. I love it. I love how you, no, I you're just, a Bendemptionist. I, I love that you're so optimistic. And, and <laughs> it's Ben. No, he is. He is Kylo Ren at that point. So little Kylo Benny's Ren, um, sort of going and finding the wayfinder, and you that you see palps by the end of that very opening sequence that it just yeah it, it doesn't sort of beat around the bush in that sense it is crazy uh helen is opening the star wars visual dictionary on this page that the the planet that we open on where um kylo ren is killing all of mm. those little dudes mustafar. is mustafar yeah, yeah. But are, there's of no the sense in the film itself. Of yeah, because they talk of about course. the Wayfinders. There were two, and Palpatine had one, and Vader had one, and that it's in Vader's castle. Although, when Kylo Ren picks it up on Mustafar, it's, it's, it's in a burned forest on a plinth. Yeah, which so. makes no fucking sense. Like, I get that the whole backstory to this is supposed to be that Vader built his castle on Mustafar and is, is working to resurrect Padme. That's what that's what that was all about. He, so he he collected powerful relics. Yeah, in an this this actually ties into the this. VR game Vader Immortal, which is all about his quest. Okay, because there's a Padme. Lady Corvax. Did you know about Lady Corvax? I do of actually know about do. Lady Corvax. I have met Lady Corvax's husband while playing the oh VR game Vader Immortal because he died and she was basically like, "Oh my god, I totally missed." I it. didn't realize any of this was canon. Actually, <laughs> this is interesting. Is. And 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 so she was like, "I will bring him back to life," but unfortunately, wouldn't you know it? When she brought him back to life, she actually accidentally reduced her entire planet yep. to lava. And that's where Mustafar looks like Apart Mustafar. from that mm. one planet, that one forest, which does actually address one of my long-standing complaints about the Star Wars universe, that every planet is just one thing. <laughs> this planet is two things! Lava and yeah. burn trees. I actually, yeah. I love the fact that Star Wars is is a bit like that. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like that. It is entirely Every like planet that. is just one thing. Yes, I like that. I like that. The, this, it the whole... doesn't make any sense. The whole Mustafar thing, though, that is sort of emblematic of my some of my issues with the film, even as the person in the room <laughs> who is most up on it, that it comes... There are a few small things in it that it's so close to just making those extra connections that would feel really satisfying. Mm. If it slowed down for a second, even though it's quite yeah. long. Yeah. It just doesn't... It, it, there are things about it that you can read about afterwards that you're just like, well, that's literally just a few extra seconds in the yep. film where a little bit of clarification would have bolstered these moments and, and kind of made them really satisfying mm-hmm. as you're watching it. Well, like the whole, I mean, for example, like the Janna thing, like Naomi Aki is a fine actress. She's very good, but there is no reason for that character to be there. Everything about that character could be done by someone else um, and probably should be because you shouldn't be introducing so many new characters mm. in the third part of your trilogy. This is the finale. You should be building to something. So, but if you are going to put her in, then the whole point of her being there, I think, should be that she's Lando's long lost daughter and that should have some emotional impact. Mm. And instead we get a scene which a lot of people I know thought was him hitting yes, her. Yes, I'm one of them. <laughs> it creeped me out. Tell which, you guys, it's a horny which movie. Which is meant to be, he thinks, oh, maybe this is the long lost daughter I've been looking and for. And if you read the visual picture, it is heavily implied that heavily she might implied. well be because he did have a daughter who was stolen by the First Order. Although, chronologically, she would be 21 and Naomi X is 27, but you I mean, yeah, ages. but that's, you know. But yeah. also... With that character, I, I kind of disagree with you there because I I think that character should have more to do and you get the sense that there are more scenes with her and Finn. Yeah. Um, especially uh, when they're on uh, Kef Beer and then they're on the Death Star wreckage. I'm pretty sure Kef there Beer, was... Kef by the way, is the water planet uh, on the moon of Endor. Yes. Yes, it's so, a water moon, one of uh, yes. several moons around the planet of Endor. I think they must have a sort of skimmer scene together because they suddenly go from being sort of um, on the cliff edge to being on the Death Star. But... Um, I agree that that sort of thing with Lando at the end is kind of a bit strange, but 
the moment that she has with Finn, um, where they're both talking about having mm. sort of snapped out of their indoctrination mm. through what we now understand to be the Force. Sort of seeing the ripple effects of what Finn did and also the other people who don't have that affiliation, that familial affiliation with the Force... Mm are connected to this wider this story is, my is problem. quite important. None of that is there mm-hmm. in that scene. That's my problem with that scene. If Finn had inspired people to break their tr- their conditioning as stormtroopers, then he would have an arc across these three films, which he does not have. If we were in any way shown on screen or implied on screen that it was his force sensitivity that enabled him to break his conditioning in the first film and that enabled Janna and the others to follow him then that would be an arc. But none of that is actually on screen in the film. Agreed. None of it. Yeah. Mm. Which, which, which you happens shouldn't have to read something else to figure this out. That is true. An awful lot of the plot of this film somehow makes its way into the visual dictionary and isn't in there. So one of the issues that I mainly have from this is that at the end of the film when they're all at that Slipknot concert and uh, you see all of those guys and you're like, who who are all these fuckers in the stands, you know, like chanting and screaming? You're like, I'm very confused. Uh, okay. Are these, and originally I was like, are these, when he says, I am all the Sith, you're like, are these like spectral visions of the historic Sith? I thought that's, but these are not. These are the Sith Eternal. They are Sith cultists who've been hanging around the, uh, you know, the unknown regions. That's not a euphemism. So hang on, they're physically there. They're physically there. Physically And there are many more of them than that. These are the people who have been harbouring Palpatine on Exegol. They're also the people who built and, I might add, crew those sort of thousands of Star Destroyers. Which, uh, by in the, the way, Oprah Winfrey moment, you get a Death Star, you get a Death Star, <laughs> everyone gets a Death Star. So there's the crew of those ships is 29,585 people. Yeah. Right, for each one. Including the work so experience each people. One. So each uh, one. So there are lots of Eternal. Even if it's only a hundred. They're physically yes. there. They're, as not, they watching, they're watching their boss yeah. get his ass but handed to him. But they're not Sith in the sense that Sith Lord. I think they're Sith no, I'm, more in I'm the sh- sense of like in the Old Republic days where the Sith was almost like a race. Yeah, but that, that's, um, that's not my point. My point is there are thousands yeah, of people yeah, just yeah, standing yeah. who could have intervened and yeah. maybe helped their boss out <laughs> just, yeah. when he's being beaten. This is, yes. By Ray. Indeed. They are all actually yeah. there. But maybe they're so indoctrinated that they can't conceive of the possibility that he might need help. Let's we, be, you know. We generous. have a number of listener questions to get into, and uh, James isn't here for much longer. We will get into it. But I do want to talk very, very quickly about uh, hyperspace travel oh. in this in this movie. Oh. Hyperspace skipping is not a thing. Uh, because this movie, more than any Star Wars film, just makes time irrelevant. It, 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 it's really interesting that it, it, it applies this countdown clock to the film. They have 18 hours before Palpatine, for whatever reason, has decided that he's going to announce the world he's going to do this. And then it becomes eight hours. And then you have, but they're skipping from planet to planet as if one minute just blends into the next. One minute they're on, you know, I can't remember the names of the planets, but Kajimi. Jiffy Bag, Kajimi, Kathy and Jimmy. They're on Kathy and Jimmy one minute, then they're on Exegol the next, then they're on the Death Star world that you said the name of, and I don't know what it's called. Ben, what's Kef it? Beer. Kef, Kef Beer. Hold my Kef Beer. Kef Beer. <laughs> and none of it seems, there's no sense of stakes in terms of, oh, we, we're really up against it in terms of we need to get to this place. We don't have much time. It's just like, yeah, okay, we're in this planet, now we're in this planet. 
What are you going to do? Yeah, we've got time to go back to our original planet, get a change of clothes, get our yeah. swing. L- Lando and, and Chewie have time to go in the Falcon and whilst there's a major battle going on on Exegol, they have time to go full Dunkirk and recruit all those thousands mm-hmm. of people and then they just show up. Now, in the previous Star Wars, even in Return of the Jedi, they showed that there had, you know, there's a fair amount of planning that goes into these things and there's a fair amount of time that goes into these things and we're constantly shown in Star Wars that traveling through hyperspace ain't like dusting crops and it mm-hmm. takes actually a bit of time it's not instantaneous you know there's literally in this movie we were first introduced to Poe and Finn and Chewie whilst traveling through hyperspace and they have it takes so long in fact that they have time to play space chess so it's just a small thing yeah. but it really got me the but second time around this kind of goes to what Helen said in her review that this feels like video game fetch quests like it's like get this go there get the magic knife sacred cross dagger of a junty that turns into a protractor that will take us to this thing where we'll get the magic GPS thing which will take us to this place and it feels like this this sort of formed the skeleton of the story onto which they hung which feels like exactly what Chris Terrio said, that they started with whiteboards and they were like, what is the what are the things we would like to see with all these characters? So JJ and Terrio, they got their whiteboards up, they were like, this character, we would like to see this happen. This character, we would like to see this happen. And you feel that in the film, that rather than being a single sort of narratively driven story, they have a number of character beats they want to hit and they try and hang them like baubles on a tree and that tree is this sequence of fetch quests mm. uh, and, and again I think it, it's a shame that this film seems to serve those moments and whether those moments are good moments yes <laughs> it seems to serve those moments and it doesn't serve a greater story and I think that's a shame but also that general sort of like you said fetch quest thing isn't that a lot of just adventure storytelling it is yeah it's yeah. like we have to go here to get the thing MacGuffin to get thing that, we'll we do that yeah, yeah, absolutely. That but that there hasn't been so is. much of that in Star Wars which really I think I quite liked that about this the first half of it is just them on an adventure that felt almost slightly Indiana Jonesy. Oh, very much just so. sort I mean, of very pulpy yeah the, the outfits and the quicksand and the under, yeah. underground mm. Pasana has, has this moment yeah. so I like the Aki Aki but again you've got that moment there where they basically go to the space equivalent of Burning Man <laughs> and they're hanging out there and then you meet Lando there who apparently went to the festival with Luke 20 odd years ago and hasn't left absolutely <laughs> twatted and never left except of course the festival is only every 42 years thanks for coming <laughs> thank you C-3PO yes. 42 years that's a yeah. wow, significant that's number significant in yeah. some way yes it's the meaning of life the universe and everything <laughs> also yeah. that yeah it's very very oh, true which yeah. is actually the first thing that came to mind for me showing and that, not the fact that it was the, the anniversary of Star Wars right, 40 okay. years since Star- 42 is not an anniversary come on um, <laughs> uh, I, I am genuinely weirded out by the by the dune echoes here the, the, so the Varix I think are those snake things mm. in the tunnels under Pasana um, that would be fine I'm like okay well you know and Tremors mm. did it we allowed Tremors to do it maybe we can be okay with Star Wars doing it but also you then have spice running and, and I felt like the two of those <laughs> together it's like pick one you can have one <laughs> you can have sandworms or spice yes and, and I think a lot of people have, have also pointed this out but having your one Latino character turn out to have a drug dealing background <laughs> oh wow oh, not super guys that didn't even cross my mind no, not, yeah. not super that I, wasn't great the the fetch quest uh, that's quite an interesting term I hadn't encountered that before but I only play FIFA so what do I know uh, not a lot of quests in FIFA um, that's interesting but I think had they encountered more problems on these quests, I and mean, quests have always been a part of Star Wars. You know, you know, Luke and Ben and A New Hope. What's their mm-hmm. quest? They're going to Alderaan to deliver the plans to, to mm-hmm. Princess Leia. They don't know that she's it's been rescues. It's, it doesn't tend yeah. to be. We need to find the we need to find thing the thing to get the thing to, to unlock the, the thing. Yeah, but they don't encounter that many problems. They encounter 
problems in course in the in the shape of Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren and various you know bits of chicanery. But in terms of finding the thing that they need to find, they're remarkably lucky. Like they they go out to the the dude's spaceship and they go into this the quicksand bit, which I quite enjoyed the quicksand mm. bit. Um, again, felt very Indiana Jonesy. Uh, they temporarily forget that one of their number could just levitate all of them out of it. Yeah. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Then they get into the into the dunes and they just happen to find in the in the sort of the network of tunnels the one thing they need. Just what? lying around the dagger. Just there it is. There's the dagger. Oh, I needed this. That's a stroke of luck, wasn't it? Also, nobody else had looked at the spaceship, which was perfectly functional and sitting on top of a rock. No one, it's just outside of town and no one had said, you know what, this seems to be salvage, I'll just take this. In the, how many but years it's been Also, there? they're all in the spaceship and Chewie leaves and the Knights of Ren are standing right outside and instead of, I don't know, grabbing all of them, they just wander off and follow Chewie. Because nobody can see this spaceship for no reason. It's cloaked, clearly. I don't, like, it. Is that a thing? But, but I feel we're disappearing down a... a, ben, a ben, well what are you doing? Which, the dark side of the hole. force. A yeah. hole, We're yes. falling down a Varric's hole. I would say, let's let's talk about some of the things we do like about this film. Uh, things that, like, in particular, I thought the Ray and Kylo Ren stuff was the high point of this film. Yes. I thought their relationship, I think the performances, I think uh, Daisy Ridley was really, really good in this film. She'd never been better in that role. I think she really found the core of who Ray is in this. And I thought she was fantastic. Uh, and, I, and I think those two, whenever they're on screen together, you know, in all of their sequences, yeah. that is when this film really comes alive. And you, it's magical. There are a few extra things on kind of repeated viewings that have stood out to me from that. I mm. love the moment uh, in this one where we uh, first meet Ray and she's, floating and the rocks are floating mm. around mm. her and she's trying to connect to the thousands of generations of Jedi and she can't do it and then by the end in that moment that very sort of um, Spider-Man lifting himself out of the collapsed building moment yeah. um, where she does connect that sort of arc for her through this film. <laughs> the cameo sequence where yes. everyone from <laughs> Sam Jackson to Hayden Christensen to a number of people from the animated series mm. all yeah. go, you go girl. You got this. And uh, the other thing that stood out as well, um, one of the moments in The Force Awakens that I just love so much is when Rey is still on uh, Jakku and uh, she gets her one half portion and she sits in the sand eating it and then the camera Mm. pans Mm. out and it's her against the Atat in the sand and she puts on that old um, rebel helmet um, and she looks up at the sky and she's eating her dinner and then when you have that moment at the end of this when um, Luke has raised the X-Wing, Force Luke has Mm -hmm. raised the X-Wing and she flies into battle on Exegol wearing that, his old rebel helmet. It's just like that from from where she starts to where she ends up just Mm. felt like really beautiful little moments um, kind of peppered through her story arc. And you, you were talking about palps before for me i don't i'm not massively pro or anti-palps but one thing that that does i think is distracts from the character stuff going on with ray and kylo mm-hmm. ren which yeah. is what this trilogy and this film does best yes i think i think that's true and i think it's what it should be about and when they keep their eyes on that and you know I, it works I, better i love the moment where 
the, the sort of the force, the idea of force handing him the lightsaber to the yeah. knights. And I love like the knights around who are, even though they I mean, all have names in the visual dictionary, they are shit. No, let's be honest. They're this film's Boba Fett. They're, I mean, yeah, they're all style and no they stuff, except cool their style. Do they don't even look that cool. Mm. So they're all wailing on him, and then he do, they do that brilliant little sheep over her shoulder. He pulls it out, and just the expression he does that kind of Han Solo-ish, meh, which I thought was almost like a, it felt like a deliberate Harrison Ford nod. Yeah. Also, when he um, runs in um, before he gets the lightning, uh, the, yes. the lightsaber, when he runs in and he shoots without looking, yeah. and it's that, I mean, it's also, great. Also, he has actually, a real... when he when he well, I, I, I this took me out a little bit. So when he he shoots the guy, he runs, he jumps in the hole, he lands on the big gigantic chain and there's a, like a comedy oof yeah, he goes, as he does it oh. but it's almost that that actually took me out of it I'm like he's not there yet he hasn't earned comedy yet mm-hmm. for me <laughs> that's very true this is not right he's a mass murderer <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but he's is, wearing a sweatshirt now that's right yeah he's gone casual Abercrombie <laughs> but this is this is. I, mean, I love him to death but this is again this is kind of one of my problems with it I, and I, I know I said this on the other one but um, I, I do think redemption is a thing that you earn and I would have liked to have seen him earn it in any other way than just almost immediately dying because he has this, he's been a really serious guy the whole way through and to see him be comic mm, was a yeah. little bit too much of a shift. Like I get that there's a weight taken off him and there's a sense of having been re-welcomed back into his family almost or something. There, there's a sense of, he's a of grim, relief, yeah. I think. And he's that, a grim dark edge lord, and suddenly yeah. he's... Yeah. Morgan and Wise. And it's, like, a, it's a very big shift. Mm, I mean, the redemption feels less like a Phoenix effect and more just like that he, Leia, reaches out and they have some kind of moment, isn't it? That she touches him, she stops him from killing Ray, and in that moment, although, why she, you know, and it, the effort kills her, that she reaches out and she finally. This is my, and again, I said him. this in the other one, but you weren't here. The. The big this is issue. new information. <laughs> no, the, the, the big issue I have with that is the timing of those shots makes it look like Ray killed her. She doesn't oh, collapse. I never got that. She doesn't yeah, collapse when she reaches out to Ben. But Maz Kanata has that line before and saying the effort does. of doing this will kill her. I know. Because in case we I haven't know. that up. Yeah. But well, why, why, why did she do it earlier on? No one knows. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that in this movie, sadly. She could have done it like years ago. But, yeah. um, but no, she reaches out she makes contact with him. She starts to sit herself down. She is still in control of her own actions and in her own body. And it is when Ray stabs him that her hand falls open dead. Oops. I'm just saying, I, it looks like Ray killed her. Yeah, I, I, I don't... I, I'm sure I don't, that's not what it's meant to be. It would I'm be hilarious, uh, but I don't... I can imagine that would be amazing if Ray accidentally killed Leia. Um, I have major problems with how Leia is portrayed in this film. Uh, in in Venice, that's I, not I genuinely, film, is it? I, I, well, he chose he chose to carry on True. with CG Carrie Fisher, and I feel that they should not have done that. I feel that Leia should have died gracefully off screen and been given a maybe the film could have even opened with her funeral, a hero's funeral. Mm. But it is so obvious that they had so limited dialogue, and they have to spin like that that dreadful scene with with, with, snap. Grim, with snap Wexley yeah. going, <laughs> "Oh yeah, the Millennium Falcon's in trouble." Oh, be more optimistic. Uh, what is that? You don't have to use every bit of dialogue that you found on the cutting room floor, guys. Just I don't know. It just it felt a little bit shoehorned. not exploitative, mm. but shoehorned definitely, and. I don't think that the, the the death of Leia was given the, the weight of the gravitas it deserved, not least because it comes in the middle of a big old action sequence, which, for my money, is the best sequence in the film. Uh, I really do like that that lightsaber mm. battle between uh, Kylo and, and, yeah. and Rey. And we haven't seen that environment a million times no. before either, and I yeah. thought that was super effective. Also feels like also a really... Also, you like wet Kylo. 
Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> actually, his hair looks better dry. I'm actually going to correct you on that. I prefer dry Kylo. Thank you. I think that fight as well feels like a really nice counterpoint to the battle on Mustafar at the end of Revenge mm-hmm. of the Sith. Mm-hmm. The sort of the, the birth of Vader is in flames and lava and the redemption of Ben is in water and mm. waves Spray. I feel like yeah. is a mm-hmm. nice sort of inversion yeah. of that. I, I, think, that I think it's all down to com- like personal feelings about how they handled the Leia thing because I really like the fact that it's that it's Leia in her final moments choosing to, to kind of reach out to, to Kylo Ren that brings Ben yeah, but mm-hmm. it's just one, it's one of those things Ben that just raises so many questions like mm-hmm. why didn't she do this before the movie I think they were determined that this was in some way Leia's movie Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it would have been. In the yeah, it, it that may, was the plan. It may have been. But you know, they were determined that this movie is Leia's movie. And there, as such, we get a lot of revelations about Leia that just don't feel organic to me mm-hmm. or organa to me. <laughs> you know, the whole thing about the, the, the fact that she did train as a Jedi, uh, but obviously chose not to go through with it because of a vision that she had. And then the lightsaber thing, it just it, it, it didn't ring true for me. Yeah, but then again, this is, this is probably me now um, applying a kind of level of scrutiny to these movies that I didn't apply to even the prequels or the, certainly the original movies and perhaps it's, it's, it's my bad. I don't don't question anything in the original movies and I'm questioning everything here and maybe that's me. I, I have to say, I know I agree with you there though that the, the sort of Leia training as a Jedi, it's like, it's a nice moment in the film but it raises so many other mm. questions that it's basically not worth it and for me, I don't know why, instead of bringing that in so that they have a Leia lightsaber that, isn't really made anything of. I, it baffles me that they just didn't just bring in the Luke Green lightsaber as the second lightsaber because we haven't really seen that other than in the um, sort of flashback vision from The Last Jedi where you see the differing versions of what happened when Luke confronted yeah. Ben. We haven't seen that green lightsaber and it wasn't being used and I don't know why you'd bring in this layer lightsaber that we have absolutely no connection to and that they don't have enough screen time to do I th- anything I with. Think, I think they did the layer lightsaber as a substitute for Leia herself. Mm. I think because, again, you, like you say, Chris, they were obsessed with the idea that this is Leia's movie. Take Luke to, with you, take Leia with take you. Take Leia with you, exactly. And, and, and create that mirror in a weird way between Luke and Leia and Ben and Ren. Mm. Um, All so, of which Ray, feeds into the, the movie's title. Yeah, and I think we discussed this a little bit in the last one, but you know, I thought that Skywalker, the rise of Skywalker, at one point might pertain to where you know we'll never know. Ryan Johnson was never meant to, to direct this film, and we'll never know what Colin Trevorrow was going to do with this film. Uh, but I would imagine that the the thread that is set up at the end of the Last Jedi that that you know we've talked about this in the podcast before that Ray is trying to find a new she's turning her back a little bit on the, the teachings of the Jedi because mm-hmm. the teachings of the Jedi are flawed and doomed to failure and the teachings of the Sith are doomed and, and flawed and, and doomed to failure and so she's going to try and find something new and in, in that way he's going to you know light the spark that lit the fire all that sort of stuff and the kid with the broom at the end of the Last Jedi is symptomatic of that, symptomatic of maybe the fact that Rey is going to establish something fresh and new. And mm-hmm. I thought that at one point that Skywalker might be the name for this new movement, this new mm-hmm. order. Not religion necessarily, but that, you know, that she would bring the best bits of the Jedi and the best bits of the Sith together. Whatever those are. Whatever those are. <laughs> and, and forge this Some thing nice called Skywalker. Black r- uniforms. Lovely uniforms. Lovely uniforms. Um, that clearly is not the case, and uh, JJ and uh, Chris Terry are, are a little bit more literal-minded mm-hmm. in, in in regard to what the rise of Skywalker is. 
James, you weren't here for the last one. I was How not. do you feel about that? Because I was, I, as I was watching this movie, I was like, I still don't, as it unfolded, I, was still, I don't really see the rise of Skywalker. I don't really see where that's coming from. Mm. And then obviously the very last line of the movie, Ray claims the Skywalker name for her own, which I have problems with. Yeah, like Terrio has said that they came to that quite early on, that that's something they wanted to happen. And I can't help, in the times that I've watched this film, I almost, what I want from her in that scene is she's gone from Ray, just Ray on Pisana. She's gone to, oh God, I'm Ray Palpatine. I wanted at the end, I wanted her to say Ray, just Ray. Like she's found out what yeah. her lineage is and she's rejected it and she's just going to be her own person. She is herself. I don't think she'd earned the Skywalker thing. I don't think she had the bond with them that makes sense of it. So it did feel clunky to me. But that sequence on Tatooine... McClunky or just clunky? McClunky. It was McClunky to me. Um, that sequence on on Tatooine, uh, when she goes back and she wraps the lightsabers up in what is essentially swaddling clothes. So yeah. it's supposed to be a mirror of the, the birth of Luke and Leia. Um, and... and I don't know, it didn't really... I mean, I get it that, that, that Leia's planet doesn't exist anymore, so I think, well, that's Luke's planet, so maybe we can have them together. But it, it, felt, it felt odd, and to see them both as Force ghosts, and also point out, when uh, Anakin Skywalker dies, he comes back as young Anakin Skywalker as a Force ghost. Why are they old Force ghosts and not young Force <laughs> well, ghosts? Obi-Wan but then Obi-Wan was an together. old Force ghost. Why is it inconsistent? Also, is why, is, why is Ben not there with them? I think also Ben true. and Anakin should both be there in that mm. shot as well. I think that would have felt even George more Lucas complete. is working on that car at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's one of those things where she, she'd go, who the fuck are you? <laughs> to, to, to <laughs> who the hell are you? Yeah. And it who, is, who the hell is that? that? <laughs> <laughs> and it is a little bit weird as well that, you know, we're assured by Chris Terrio in that interview or one of those interviews that, uh, no, this is not Ray going off on her own the way Luke did. This is yeah. Ray just dropping those off, yeah. leaving them She's not safe, living on Tatooine. And then going it's elsewhere. Just, yeah. um, but we don't get that. Again, that's not no. visually shown. There's not like people waiting behind her. And it her. ends with the twin sons. Yeah. And I think, you know, that could have been powerful if Ryan Johnson hadn't done it better in the previous film when Luke's death and you see like the blurring of the sons and it looks like twin sons and that's such a beautiful moment. And I feel that this not only doesn't compare favourably to that, but it also slightly lessens that through the repetition. And I think that's a shame and I would maybe, I get why they did it. Last shot, fine. But I don't mind that. I think it could easily have ended on the traditional tableau of all the characters celebrating of Chewbacca going can you believe I got a medal have you seen what he's doing he's cavorting with yeah. it he's pointing at it he's going I can't believe this Maz Kanata basically going look Chewie I've been online and people are not happy that you didn't get a medal <laughs> so that's the only way you can explain that in no, the canon of the can't. films no no you can because it's 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 layers it's what it, Leia has it with her oh, when she, she dies, and the only person it's Han's who, old medal, isn't it's it? It's Han's old medal mm. that then That's Leia has. Even worse, Le- she's taken it from Leia's corpse, or you know, the Force Ghost, and, and gives it to the one guy who's going to give a shit about it, which is which is Chewbacca, and he's celebrating. So is I know he, it is why worse. Why is he, isn't why is he celebrating as if it's his? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's so it's, I think that's the worst thing. That was a, from Jonas uh, Suatamo. I think that was an odd choice to be jumping around for joy. They're holding the medal, and that's just weird mm. why is this happening presumably it's not for the medal it's for the battle that they've just survived well, you, but even so it doesn't it doesn't it's not a moment that sings really <laughs> is it it's it's not great guys no near numb dies this is the Does thing. He? Yeah, Nia Num dies during the Battle of Exegol. I believe when? Admiral Akbar's son also bites the big no. one. Uh, Snap Wexley, thank God, also dies. Oh, come but on. But Nia Num had been through so much. So much. Hero of Solust. Can I just um, say you know. a big shout out to Wedge coming back for yes. one oh. horribly delivered line. <laughs> that's, that's fly, Lando. Oh, oh my God. God. 
Yeah, it was it was a weird one that battle. It doesn't make a huge amount of sense. It sidelines weird people at odd times. You know, I mean, how did they? <laughs> you know, they left uh, Finn and Jana there to basically turn a gun round, and and they acted like this was a big plan that they'd just come up with. And it seems fairly obvious. It seems like something they'd done in previous Star Wars movies. In fact, I just just turned the gun round and fired its own ship. It just, you know. Yeah, Luke did it better on Jabba's sail barge. Exactly. Two, two things before we get into listener questions. Yes. Um, Hux. Hux now, sucks in this. I oh. felt that they were they were you know setting up, and perhaps other people were setting up Hux for a big old face-off with Kylo Ren, which he would have lost, obviously. Super yeah. badly. Super badly. But he, but, as you say, he was set up as they were. They were the heads of two different pillars in mm. the First Order. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Hux has got a boss. And it's not as if they had a plot device where Hux was demoted because Kylo doesn't like him. It's like, oh, Legion no. General Pride has been off in reserve somewhere, as the Visual Dictionary points out, yes. and just then comes to the fore. No, but Hux probably was demoted as a result of the failed mission in the new Disneyland ride, apparently. Oy. That's the current theory going around, guys. But also, That's they why had, he was, they he had was already demoted. set up the, that, that moment in The Last Jedi where he nearly kills, he, he nearly gets his gun out oh, to yeah. shoot Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um, oh, I, no, they, that of, I have no trouble with. Yeah, him betraying Kylo oh, Ren yeah, that's 100%. Fine. Also, I think they had really set up as well that um, Hux is just this kind of pretty weaselly, mm -hmm. snivelly character. So I think it was kind of better that it was underhand. He was just like low-key betraying uh, the First Order instead of having some kind of confrontation with somebody about it. But don't you think but, that uh, he should have met his end at the hands of Kylo Ren? Like The character's whole... Raison d'etre mm. is to undermine and to usurp Kylo Ren. And he gets killed in a really offhand fashion in a really terrible <laughs> HR meeting. But I think otherwise there's nothing for Pride to do this show that he's evil. Well, then don't I have Pride. Well, I, I, as much as I enjoy Richard E. Grant, really important. and Pride has to come before a fall, obviously, <laughs> but I'm as, much, as, good, as good as Richard E. Grant is in this movie, uh, we all have a bit of reg. He doesn't need to be in it. Mm. Uh, as, you know, as we said, you know, Dominic Monaghan, Friend of the pod doesn't necessarily. Beaumont, what's his name? Beaumont something or other. No one knows. Kin. <laughs> no one... Beaumont Kin. Beaumont Kin doesn't really need to be apparently. in this movie. Although I know all the people online, because I've seen a lot of this, obviously saying if you, you know, why don't you just take his lines and give them to Rose? Mm -hmm. He would have. She would have. She would have six more lines. Mm. Let's be honest. You know, he's yeah. not a major character, Beaumont Kin, and even people were going oh, the slug who's on the Millennium Falcon. Claude. Give yeah, give Claude's lines to Rose. Well, that would be one more line. <laughs> You know, so I yeah. feel that Rose should have had a lot more to do and been a lot more I integral. Mean, I, but I get what they're doing. They, 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 this film tries to cover an awful lot of ground and it introduces a lot of characters with an already quite swollen mm -hmm. list. And I, you know, not to be cynical, but I'm sure part of that is driven by a need to sell more merchandise. Like Zoe Bliss looks great; her action figure will sell, and I'm sure that's part no, of but it. They've got to get a fucking grip, though. I mean, and, and I, I say this with love for Star Wars, but they've got to get a grip because you cannot, in your finale, start introducing endless new characters. It's just not a good way to no, do things. No, thank you. Yes, and it will. <laughs> you can, but like, there's got to be a limit on how many you can have because we don't need Zori Bliss. Everything she does could be done by, say, Maz Kanata, and it'd be a lot funnier if, if uh, Poe was flirting <laughs> with Maz Kanata. You don't need Dominic Monaghan. You don't need Jana, actually, I don't think, unless you're going to do her much better than she was done by. I don't think you need Lando in this movie. I don't think you matter. need Lando. I don't, you know, Dio is very cute. We have two very cute droids already. Yeah, because R2 gets 
bollocks all to do in this, exactly. you know. You know, and and so on and so on and so on. You've got new stormtroopers with new outfits. You know, you've got all of the Knights of Ren. They fly now. It's just too much, and it's the last film in this trilogy. We should be focusing in on the people we already care about. That's mm. what you do in a finale. I love that the omission there is Babu Frick because we all love Way! Babu Frick and no one's going to be Babu Frick going to be in this. Oh, Babu Frick, Shirley Henderson. But at on. least Babu Frick doesn't feel so crammed in <laughs> for no except reason. Except in fucking Zori Bliss's cockpit where he's like, Zori, you're in the fight. She's like, yeah. And then suddenly, way! Yeah, no. <laughs> up in the cockpit. That, that bit... <laughs> I mean, this movie, this movie does a lot, but they, they go to uh, Kathy Najimy and they blow it up, and and then you think, oh well, that's that then, and then Suri Bliss somehow escapes from the planet, despite the fact that she gave Poe Dameron mm-hmm. the thing that she needs to get mm-hmm. off the planet. So how does she get off the planet, and how does she know to take Babu Frick with her? Anyway, ha 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 ha! Childhood memories. They so want so, to be pearls. Uh, well, yeah, we can talk. Um, there's got there's a few reader questions about that. Should we, okay, let's um, let's press on with the reader questions. Have, We've have, moaned enough. Let's have listener questions. Uh, and in fact, listeners, yes, listener questions, not reader questions. <laughs> listener questions. It's a podcast, James. Um, so, a few people have asked us, and a few people have written in to me, and so they've made this they've made this point. And the point is that at the end of the movie, both Lando and Chewie showing up at the end with the the huge fleet of people, mm-hmm. and Ray getting some assistance from focal cameos, um, and there were rumours of some people that, that actually might have been, people might have show, shown up, there might have been actual physical cameos with some of the Jedi of the past showing up, you know, to, to augment the fight. Both of those moments are very reminiscent of the greatest moment of all our lives, <laughs> the, the portal sequence in, yes, that movie, Swear Jar, Avengers Endgame. And some people have written into me saying that they thought it was a better moment than Endgame, but most people Sorry. have written in Sorry. saying that they didn't think it worked as well. And I think it's an interesting thing to discuss. Why do we think, if we do think that this doesn't work as well as Endgame, why is that the case? Or maybe you do think it works better than Endgame. But, I mean, Endgame works in a particular level because these are beloved characters that we have been introduced to over many films who we who have been gone, who have died. We've had an emotional wrench as they were taken from us and they are restored at the key moment. Like There's a lot more going mm. on emotionally. This is a bunch of people that we don't know turning up in a load of ships. I mean... It's not, and then, and then, just to top it all off, we have a new wrinkle where Palpatine can apparently shoot strategic missiles type force lightning, which disables an entire fleet, which mm. makes no sense. I, I, yeah, it's basically that. It's the fact that through really impressive storytelling, the Avengers managed to make us forget that the Hulk snap had actually worked. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as that mm. happens, we're just you know we we actually know it's worked. We you know yep. Hawkeye's phone rang. But we get distracted. The little birds sang in the sky. Everything was wonderful. We know it's worked. They still make us forget that it worked enough that that comes as a shock and a surprise and a deliverance when poor Cap is standing all on his own against an entire army. But, it's it's incredible. It works because it's so well done. This, this by the way, is just... now an Avengers Endgame spoiler <laughs> special. Uh, <laughs> now the 54th uh, one that we have done. I agree with you. And I, I also feel there was a point, there's a point in that final showdown between Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Thor and mm. Thanos that because we know it was the last one and we knew that 
it could be it for any of those characters yeah. in a way that I don't think we ever feel that it's going to be the end for Ray in this movie. I think this is just, just me. And again, people, you know, there are people who've written and said that they think it's better than the portless, the portless moment. That's I don't think madness. it's. I don't think it's even in the same ballpark. But I think they they raise the stakes of that fight to a point where yes, you've forgotten that the, all the heroes are going to come back as well. But you legitimately think I I had I legitimately thought first time I watched it this is how Steve Rogers goes out in yeah. defiance fighting an army of bad guys, and then the portals thing happens and it's it's shot and orchestrated and choreographed so beautifully that you know it just really works. It's a really incredibly stirring moment in a way that I think this could have been. But also I was. Partially, I was just trying to go and trying to identify the voices, mm. which didn't help matters. But do you think that, how did this happen, for example? <laughs> how did this happen that Disney have produced two movies that have come out within seven months of each other that essentially have the same turn in their ending, in their climax, mm. essentially the same, the same beat? How did that happen? I think, I think, do you think there was a point where someone went to, you know, maybe there were physical cameos where you actually saw... Mace Windu, we saw Qui-Gon Jinn and we saw Hayden Christensen and we saw Yoda and then someone went to JJ, hang on a second, this is Endgame, we can't do this. Do you think that maybe happened? I am inclined to say no, I don't think so. I've, I've, so the, the theory about the physical cameos, at least in part, is coming from a... Uh, Reddit thread. Did you see this? Which yes, I I, I think that Reddit thread is nonsense. Bullshit. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a mixture of you know common theories, stuff that's already out there, and total shit. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I don't think they they were physical, not least because of the voice voice cameos from the animated characters, which mm. would be immensely distracting if they turned up in any physical form. Yeah. Um, so I. But maybe they wouldn't wouldn't have done in that case. I don't know. Maybe they were added in later. But it just doesn't seem likely to me. And I also don't know that Disney's different arms necessarily communicate that much to each other. Bob Iger might have had words at some point. Do you not think? Maybe. As he's watching Endgame develop, and he's you know at least that's the thing. Some people have also written in accusing. Uh, Rise of Skywalker ripping off oh, Endgame which is absolutely that's, that's not awesome. the case these movies are developed you know even though it was a, a fairly truncated development time these movies are developed separately there's you know there's just coincidence mm. it's just coincidence but I do wonder at some point maybe someone could have gone maybe mm. but it, it, that and then involves major retooling of your ending so how I, do you I do mean, that? From I what was, we understand, time was not necessarily on their side with mm. with this one. That's so maybe certainly if, true. If a similarity was noted in production, I'm not sure that what they would have done, especially in terms of um, all the ships coming in at the end. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure what they could have done to avoid. Which is the bit that I kind of that. latched onto, like the the the, the ships amount, but the the actual voice thing. I, I liked it in the moment, but again, like. Uh, Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan, his voice appears in Force Awakens, so it felt a little bit like, mm-hmm. have we kind of done this? And also Fader's voice appears at um, the beginning of, of this movie as well, James Earl Jones yeah. as Fader. And there's I'm a couple all the of voices. voices you've ever heard. Yeah, you know? of course you are, mate. And, uh, you know, just the, the characters who do appear, uh, the voice cameos we hear, Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. Olivia Dabo as Luminara Undali. Who's, who's that, James? She's a... Jedi. Great. Uh, <laughs> Ashley Eckstein, of course, is yep, Ahsoka Tano. Tano. Jennifer Hale as Ayla Sakura. Sam Jackson as Mace Windu. Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Alec Guinness as uh, old Obi-Wan Kenobi. Frank Oz as Yoda. Angelique Perrin as Adi Gallia. Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. as Kanan Jarrus. So there's a couple of interesting examples of yeah, animated characters crossing over. And of course, the big dog, 
Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, the only Northern Irish Jedi and therefore the best. best. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with that, that ending. I just don't think it's, it has anywhere the, I, the impact. But then again, you know, I, I'm now a Marvel fan. I have no issue with that at all. And I thought it was fine. And then she channels, uses them to inspire her to draw the strength to get up. She gets both her lightsabers out. She reverses the force lightning. You'd think Palpatine would have learned not to shoot into lightsabers, but hey-ho. But then after that moment, Ray dies of tiredness. And yeah. yes, you yeah. could say, oh, she exerted herself, yada, yada, yada. But that's not shown. It's not really implied even. She's walking forward holding two lightsabers. She doesn't appear to be exerting force power of any kind. And I don't understand why she suddenly dies. But she, she, he'd already drained both of their life force. She was on the, she was on, she was on five percent. She was on low power mode. She used what little she had left yeah. to, what, to, to stand count. up and walk forward. I think, yeah. I think that's Look, Helen's running marathons. It doesn't work that way. I mean, it, well, I do kind of run out of energy at a certain point. Kylo Ren got <laughs> thrown, or Ben, sorry, got thrown down a hole and was fine. Well, and he no, used he, his 5% yeah, to, to climb, climb back, back up. up. Now, in fairness, I do think there might be something which is not in any way explained or implied on screen uh, that I'm not sure how much of the living force... So there's two different kinds of force. Did you know this? I know this now. Come on, reading stuff. There's the living force and the cosmic force. You've just made this up. No, no. So when you when you become a force ghost, you're part of the cosmic force, and that's what Luke tapped into. Where did yeah. you read this? Um, online this morning. So hang on. This the, feels like Reddit I fodder. I think it's in here somewhere Are these cosmic also? force people who are coming back to help her? Because not everyone who helps Ray at the end is uh, disappeared as a force ghost. I think that's... I think they are, though, now. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Look, my point is this. Maybe it's quite hard to access the living force on... Exegol because it's all Sithy. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how the. I think she really wanted it, and uh, where there's a wills, there's a way. Oh, oh, no. oh. That was oh. anyway, should we have another question? <laughs> we haven't had one yet. In fairness, <laughs> I will just say of the of the moment where the ships come back. I think that is quite a hollow moment, but every time I've seen oh. it, it makes me feel good. And the music kicking in, it's a lovely moment. It's mm. just that we've seen the best ben, possible. That's what they that want you to feel. They want you to feel emotion. They do, and it worked. Ah, fair enough. Good. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, loads of people are sending questions. Uh, we won't get to you all, sadly. But at this is Will Daly asks, how does Kylo know that Ray is on the ruined Death Star? I've seen it four times, and I'm still feeling like I'm missing where they explain that. And also, can I add, how does he get off the ruined Death Star <laughs> his ship. to and just he show up on an exit? Mm. Mm-hmm. Space Uber. He's, mm-hmm. he, he has a Star Trek communicator. Under uh-huh. his cloak, so he teleports. Right? No, 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 no. No, he he uses the Star Wars Star Trek teleporter, which definitely exists. Or not teleporter, sorry, telecommunications device. Right, phone, Helen. Okay, to <laughs> like, but the badge, you know, he just taps the badge. It's fine, and then and then a spare Tie Fighter turns up. Well, he chucks the driver out and takes it to Exegol. He wouldn't have chucked the driver out, Helen, because he was redeemed at that point and would not have harmed the driver. But the driver would be a bad guy. No, no, people who work for Uber aren't always polite, but they're not necessarily <laughs> bad guys. He gave him a three-star. He gave him a oh, three-star review. Harsh. That's as close to throwing him out oh, as you can get. It's a recommendation. <laughs> He's supposed to be redeemed. Good Lord. It's a bit of a stretch, but do I understand that when he lands on Exegol, having left the Death Star wreckage in, in Kefbeer, Kefbeer, he yes. is in an old Empire TIE fighter, so the inference is that there is crashed Death Star on there, but there are also other crashed. remnants of the old 
So like in the crash, so he went into the crash Death Star and found a smashed up Tie Fighter and fixed it and flew it to Exegol. (laughs) Maybe something like that. Wow, Ben! (laughs) Don't blame me. That is that is actually I think quite plausible. That makes more sense. Like, is that what it is? Is it is it a standard Tie Fighter? As far as I understand, that we don't see him land, though, do we? We do see him him walking away from the ship. I just can't remember what it. What the I thought we just saw him. I mean, no, I've literally seen this movie three hours ago. Yeah, I, I, we, we, see him, uh, we see him land at ground level. You see the TIE fighter behind him. He's coming from that. And there's the X-Wing, isn't it, that, that Ray took over to, mm. over to the right or vice versa. Interesting. Very also, interesting. Also, his ship this time around yeah. is more like a classic Imperial TIE interceptor I as opposed exactly to the TIE the silencer, which he has in Last Jedi, which I've, I thought was cooler. I've always the said the boy. Mm. Mm. Uh, yes. <laughs> A chunky boy. <laughs> um, the uh, the the question of how he knows where to go, I is think there's two. Because up. the force. <laughs> yeah. Because the force. Because the force is definitely answer possible answer number one. Um, because the force. Possible answer number two would be that when he was researching the question of how to find a wayfinder, he found both answers, mm. and he just went for the one he thought would be easier. But no, one. I mean, it's really easy to get that one. I think he already knows the way. Like, once you know the way, surely you can find it again. Like, he can get back to Exegol. No, he's no, 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 I'm not even talking about that. How he knows that Ray... He goes, why he knows that Ray has gone to Kefbeer. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I assumed that that was... The, that he, knew, he knows there are only two Sith Wayfinders. He's got one, so clearly she has to get the other one. So that sequence is so facto. how does he know where that is? But I'm um, saying he maybe he knew that already. Yeah, maybe he had Sith knowledge. Who because the Force... makes the dagger with the protractor... That you have to hold up at a specific. You make point. a very good point. So someone would have had to have gone there, oh, <laughs> known gee, it was known known not only that it was the emperor, but known that it was in the throne room after it crashed, in that very specific way, in that very specific place, and that it hadn't. Yeah, it makes that no sense. The emperor had all that the emperor had with him yeah. in the Death Star in Return it's of the Jedi. Just because he it has to be Ochi. He but, and but Vader what, are already trying did to was not go and get it, but just create a protractor knife. Outlining its position yeah. in a feat of Goonies-esque GPS location. Well, the the other thing is we know that at least one person. Well, maybe we don't. We know that there's a fuck ton of people on Exegol for a hidden planet that's totally secret and nobody yeah. knows about. There's a fuck ton of people there, right? Yeah, with loads um, of resources. Yeah, loads of resources, more than you might expect one planet to have. Yeah, ever. So people must have been going back and forth, right? Yeah. So the emperor. Could have put it there, but I on think Craigslist, he put. I don't the emperor know. didn't seem particularly spry or indeed ambulatory. The emperor seemed very dementory, didn't he? he With, did, when yeah. he sucked the life out of people, he seemed one hundred percent dementor at that point. My answer to this question is: it's the same person who, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, makes the little model town that, if you then hold a stick with the diamond thing <laughs> yeah. in it in the top and put it in the hole, and the stick at the has time, to be the right length. Has to be the right length stick, and then when the sun comes around, it shines exactly where the Ark of the Covenant is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it was all, that person. It's they, all very so it's an ancient Egyptian. Yeah, mm. yeah. They just live but for that sort of fancy adventure. The answer is that they needed a planet that the Emperor was hiding out on, but it's the retconning of stuff. It's the retconning of, oh, yeah, Luke was looking for this planet for a year, for ages. He couldn't find it. He was so close, so close, you guys, to finding this planet that we've just made up. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, Fader, Fader and the Emperor, they were always going to Exegol. You couldn't, you couldn't get him away from it. What do you mean you've never heard of Exegol? <laughs> like, yeah, there's that bit at the beginning. Um, 
where uh, they, they uh, Poe and Finn come back and they're having the big re- uh, resistance slash rebel powwow. And, um, and, and Poe goes, it's true. Somehow Palpatine has returned and everyone goes, oh, that's terrible. But you can see in that moment, you can see in that moment, I think anyway, and maybe I'm you know projecting here, you can see Oscar Isaac, the actor going, this is a load of shit. <laughs> like, it's true. What the fuck? <laughs> this is where we're at now. Palpatine's back, apparently. I don't. I don't know. Questions later. It's fine. <laughs> we'll deal with it now. Uh, anyway, and then Tom Monaghan just goes, "Sith cloning." Yeah, <laughs> weird science that nobody knew. What was that about? Yeah, <laughs> Danny Boyle was in this. Yeah, I love. I love. I love cloning myself. Um, <laughs> At Trickster1966 asks, what did Finn want to tell Ray? Well, this is the thing, isn't it, which he never gets to to tell her. Was it some romantic thing which didn't We've been told get not. tied up in the script? Or according to Reddit, was it that he's actually Force-sensitive, but they never bothered to explore that? that? I mean, that strikes me as a really odd thing. So either they just forgot, or they didn't care, or the scene got cut. But if you're going to cut that scene, cut him saying it. It makes no sense to leave that dangling thread at all, mm. especially when it was quite lame. And the only thing, that the good thing that comes out of it is he gets another moment of sexual tension with Poe, which yeah. they also don't plan to develop in any way whatsoever. They give them both girlfriends just to really, really emphasise that we definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely don't think these guys were sleeping together. But we still do. <sighs> Do we low? Oh come on! No, I, I I don't get that, but I okay, but you know you know I'm yeah. just saying there's there's at least friendly chemistry. But as you say, Poe Dameron has sexual chemistry with everybody, with every single yeah. thing and and person on screen. Yeah, I was just looking, reading up about Ochi's blade. <laughs> I mean. It's it's not very clear. It says crossguard conceals a measurement arc for use in pinpointing missing wayfinder's location. How though? Did Why? Ochi make it? Was he just really into crafts? It doesn't say. It says it's a long dead tongue. tongue also, you know, who goes to the trouble of programming C-3PO to understand Sith and then say, oh, by the way, let's program it so we can never, ever do Why would you even teach him how to do it in the first Presumably place? Presumably Anakin, right? I mean, actually, that's a very good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anakin's like, hey, got to get that no, no, Sith I, in there. No, he must, have got, he must have got one of those programs where, Rosetta like, Stone. as standard, it comes with <laughs> six million forms of communication. <laughs> well, and that's one. And it's actually It's like a, a DLC faff. pack. Yeah, and, and you it's have a to have faff it. to take out one yeah. of them. It's like Wingdings. It's just automatically there, but yeah. no one you ever really don't uses want it. it. You don't use it, you don't need it, but there it is. <laughs> Um, I'm looking at all the questions and we've kind of answered them by just faffing around <laughs> and stumbling upon them but uh, at Gary Casey asks I enjoyed the ROS overall but felt that it could have been better served as a two-part thing like the Avengers well technically speaking the Avengers was a 22-part thing but uh, that's neither here nor there what do you all think should it have been a 9 and 10 to allow the whole thing to breathe a bit more this is of course also part of the Reddit uh, mm. conspiracy theory um, I don't think anybody was ever seriously considering no. That um, because you know they've always been sets of three films. I do think that you could have made this film more elegant and streamlined by cutting out a shit ton of characters, mm. um, as I've said. It feels rushed as there's too much is packed in, yeah. and it feels like nothing gets given enough service. And the other thing is, you can sell a bunch of 
you know, action figures without giving people actual much screen time. Very true. You know, all of those, we all had those freaking Imperial Guards from the old one, you know, the, with the red cloaks. Mm. Everybody had those. They do nothing. They stand in the background of a couple of scenes. They look good, though. They do look good. But like you, so you don't need, you, you don't even need to add all these characters in for the toy company. So that doesn't seem to fit either. So I just think, you know, be more elegant. If, if, if it was 10 films, that would have made my brain itch. A trilogy, right. and then a trilogy, and then yeah. the trilogy of trilogies, except the final one's a quadrilogy. Oh, Ooh, I don't so like exciting. that. Mm. I don't. Star Wars, trilogies. Mm. Everything has, you know, just a problem is Always this one's a bit too bloated. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little bit too bloated for me. But anyway, hey-ho. Uh, at Owen, and I hope I pronounced your name right, uh, Ling asks, how would George Lucas have improved Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> I mean, uh, these are quite, obviously there are questions we can't answer here. That he also well, we asks: Would would Colin Trevorrow have done better than Abrams, and what would have been worse? That we couldn't possibly say. But George Lucas wanted to make this about midichlorians. Like his whole thing for this, because he talks about this with James Cameron on the, the science fiction show, uh, that they wanted to make it. He wanted to delve into a kind of a, a microscopic world yeah. where the wills were kind of these like godlike creatures, and they used the midichlorians to sort of ride around inside Jedi like tiny little hitchhikers and and commune with the Force. It also seemed a little bit his habit of trying to explain everything like everything he can't just say because magic because the force everything has to have a scientific explanation and that's mm. what undoes the prequels and I think we would have had a lot more of that which is wisely why they decided not to go with it yeah I think I think that's um Absolutely right. I think, look, George Lucas has many, many, many strengths as a storyteller and a filmmaker. I think he's got a great visual sense. I think he's got an incredible sense of world building, mm. po possibly for the same reason that you just identified. Um, I think he's terrible at dialogue, um, very good at casting, what? which makes up Show your evidence. He's, he's but not he always good He evolved at as a filmmaker. Like mm. those first three films, four, five, and six, have that kind of like matinee serial feel about them. It's daring do, it's space opera, it's fun, which is how he grew up watching that stuff. And I think between the original films and the prequels, he got stuck in the mud with his own mythology, just getting in his own head, trying to understand his own mythology yeah. and crowbar more stuff into it. I mean, the early scripts of, of you know, the Star Wars had a lot of this Mm. Yeah, frankly, drivel in it as well. So it's not, I guess, you know, it has been around. But I think they're they're very streamlined as they exist on screen, mainly because he was making them with in collaboration with other people. With other whereas people, the prequels, yeah. Rick McCallum just let him have his head and do his That's own thing. Yeah, he could have maybe had someone push him a little bit more in the prequels uh, to just just challenge him a little bit mm. more and interrogate like some of the do. like Gary Kurtz used mm. to do. Uh, obviously, more so in Empire than on, 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 on Jedi. But yeah, I think. It, it's interesting, you know, the, the whether you you perceive Rick McCallum as a yes man or, or whatever. But yeah, I think Lucas could have could have done with someone just going, really, George. He's really, you know, yeah. I think you think this is fabuloso, but really, is deep regret. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. we just need to, you know, examine these really, these George? McClunky ideas George? a little Come bit now. more. But at the same time, you know, and you know, I say so the guy who gave Attack of the Clones five stars, whatever. Um, there are great things in the prequels, mm. and there are risks that he took yes. from as yeah. a, from a storytelling point of view with the prequels um, that I don't really find in play here. I feel that that Abrams' two movies here are fairly safe for me, and I you know the, the, the canvas was a blank one. We've talked about this in the in previous podcasts, but it, you know we, we we talked about how. You look at the illustrated history or the art of The Force Awakens and he went, you know, initially, you know, he tore his, his hair out with, you know, how do I do this? How do I go down this, this route? And you look at it and there's lots of uh, examples of, of 
iterations that they could have gone down would, would have been maybe more challenging or more surprising. Uh, might have been quite interesting. In the end, he took the, the safe the safe route. Um, I think going for for Ray as as a Palpatine, the idea that Ray is is related to someone from the original trilogy feels a little bit reductive to me, and, and it feels a little bit safe to me. And I think actually, it makes someone, the universe a smaller place, precisely, yeah. which was exactly the problem when you had Anakin as the creator of C three PO. It takes some of the magic out of this universe because yeah. if everyone's connected, it it it, it just draws small. it all in. Yeah, and but I think this is what I was kind of trying to say last time with when I talked about um, Star Trek Into Darkness. Like JJ will will remix the elements that made something work in the past when he takes the first film in a series. He can find a way to do something new and do something interesting with those elements while making it seem safe and familiar enough that the fans don't reject it immediately. And then he has this tendency to just take the next set of familiar things instead of building on that. Having earned their trust, he does he isn't willing to take the next step and go and do what the kind of thing Ryan Johnson did and kind of build on that and go a little bit crazy. And I feel like that's what we we really mm. wanted here. For, for me, though, both JJ films have what James said before about the original trilogy, which is that daring do and that mm. adventure and that fun. Mm. And that is an equal but different flavour of Star Wars to, like you said, those more experimental or stranger ideas of the prequels and the ideas that The Last Jedi raised. And as somebody who really who loves the last jedi and really likes this film as well it's just for me the last Je- the last jedi almost does th- a lot of the other films a disservice in that it raises all these tantalizing questions that a lot of the other star wars films don't it's a, it adds a different thing to the tapestry which is interrogating what the who, whether the jedi should exist what is that order what why does the world need jedi but i'm also not mad at jj for not following that because He's also bringing us other flavors of what Star Wars is to me. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, Maybe not. <laughs> I, at this point, have to bug out and leave you to it. You have to go. I will leave uh, with one final parting thought, which is respect to John Williams, who cameos as a bartender yeah, on Kojimi. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed that a great deal. Right. That's, that's, that's your parting shot. That's my parting shot. Yes. Wow. I, I, big up to John Williams. That's it. No, I mean, look, we've said we've said all the various things. I don't want to be too negative about this film, although I feel I have been. It's just, it's not. My whole thing with this is, it's not. This is a bad film. I don't think this is a bad film. I think it is a good film. I think that. I don't know that any film could ever have measured up to my expectations of what I wanted this film to That's be. That's interesting. I know you don't have time to get into this, but on the Review of the Year podcast, mm. you were talking about how your expectations for this film yeah. were through the roof. And that intriguing to me because at no point were my expectations for this film that, that high. But you, you, these sequel films have never really connected with you, and they have connected with me. And I, I have loved the Force Awakens. I have loved the Last Jedi, and the Force Awakens more so made me feel like a small child again. It took me back to when I first saw Star Wars. It took me back to the things I first loved. That's because it Star is Star Wars. Wars. Yes, perhaps so. But <laughs> it was it was an incredible experience for me and I fucking loved it. It's watching The Force Awakens with you guys and it's genuinely one of the best cinematic experiences of my life uh, because it just made me feel like a little boy again. And what I wanted more than anything else from this film was that. I didn't need it to be Shakespeare. I didn't need it to be, you know, really anything. I didn't need it to be as bold or as progressive as The Last Jedi was. I just wanted it to take me back and to give me the Star Wars that I grew up with. And I think really that's where it disappointed me most. Now, that 
you know, I, I think to a certain extent, JJ's focus was less on doing that and more on here are all these loose threads across all these films. I'm going to try and tie them up in ways that interest fans. Um, and, you know, and we can debate all day whether that was a good idea or not. I think I don't know whether any film exists that could have satisfied me in the way that I wanted to be satisfied. I know this didn't do it, but, you know, what what could have done? What could? That's a better note than which to end. Okay. Yeah. Fuck off. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> So before James gave his second parting shot, his initial parting shot was about cameos. It was rubbish. Mm. His first parting shot was rubbish. <laughs> I, I've learned of a few additional cameos that are slightly disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of them is is Kevin Smith. He's uh, an alien on Kojimi. That's not the disturbing one. Mm-hmm. He was talking on one of his podcasts about other people he saw on set who had cameos on that day. One of the stormtroopers on uh, Kojimi is Jamie Oliver. How does Jamie Oliver get in Star Wars? Maybe he just made someone a really nice meal. Was he doing catering that day? He must have been. Making a meal that looks really, really nice and then putting like fruit in it for no reason at the end, like pomegranates and things. Is that what he does? He he always does that. There's a couple of, there's a bit where they're on uh, one of the Star Destroyers, I think, uh, and Ray uses the her the force powers, and a couple of stormtroopers are like you can't be in here, and then she's like, oh no, I'm, we're totally meant to be here. They're mm-hmm. like, oh yes, welcome aboard. And I like that they're scene. they're clearly comedians. Mm-hmm. I can't place their their voices. I think one of them might be Jason Siegel, but that's literally just my ears going. I think that's Jason Siegel's voice. I'm sure. Had I done more research, I would have found out who they were. I can never pick out who these people are. Like, as soon as you find out after the fact Mm. that in The Force Awakens it's Daniel Craig, you go, oh my God, of course, that sounds exactly like Daniel Craig. But in the moment, I think one of the others that seems to have come out, I think Harry Styles is in there somewhere. Also, another one that Kevin Smith said was that uh, Ed Sheeran, did I say that already? Yeah, he's he's listed. And and then Mama Miranda is obviously in the big big, uh, celebration scene at the end as well. can I talk about one of the biggest issues, I think, not just me, but I think a lot of people have with this film, which is the number of fake-outs. Yes. So Chewie's dead, except he isn't. Uh, C-3PO is dead, except he isn't. Kylo is dead, except he isn't. Kylo is dead again, except he also isn't. Uh, Ray is dead, except she isn't. Um, and uh, Poe's friends from Kajimi are dead, except they're not. Are you saying Snap Wexy may be alive? I mean, honestly, at this rate, it wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) The essence of Snap Wexley has remained. (laughs) He will be brought back on a giant metal crane. (laughs) Episode 10. Oh, yeah, not to mention Palpatine is dead. No, he isn't. Yeah, that's a pretty big fake out. You know? What are you you saying? Redundancy of storytelling or approach? And and it just cheapens every single one of those deaths. The the, the 3PO one is particularly annoying because Mm. um, there's so much good 3PO stuff in this, and I think we maybe discussed that last time. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, But there's so much great C-3PO stuff in this and actually it's a lovely moment that he as someone who has been through the story all the way along recognises I need to make this sacrifice so that we can win this thing that I've been a part of for nine films now Um, and then it's so casually undone it's not just the fact that it is undone but it's just like and they they set up the fact that like oh R2 memory units aren't that reliable at bringing the the Mm -hmm. memories back and then there's no issue that R2 does bring Yeah, he's just back. brought it back. Yeah. He's lost maybe a couple, a few months. Mm. That's It's not like a big deal. So you're saying maybe had 3PO not come back at all, might have been an ultimate sacrifice and that would, that would have been interesting. Or had he come yeah. back as a completely different personality and a completely different voice mm. and it wasn't Anthony Daniels. Mm. That might have been interesting, yeah. I, I could see but how he, that would have worked. He's still part of the resistance, but that, that nice moment where he refers to um, uh, Babu Freck as his oldest, oldest friend. friend. The, they keep him around, but he's he's lost what he had, but he will still have a future with the resistance yeah. and with his friends, but he just doesn't know they're his friends. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Uh, what, what about the Chewbacca thing? The Chewbacca it, thing was um, kind of awful. Uh, awful from a storytelling point of view. Of course, I don't want Chewbacca to die, and I would, I would, you know, be extremely upset if anyone heard him. There was a moment in The Force Awakens, I remember, where I thought they were going to kill Chewbacca, and I was genuinely prepared to throw things at the screen. Oh, you can kill Han, kill Luke, kill Leia, kill them all. Mm. You touch Chewie? You touch Chewie. You touch a fucking hair in his, oh. his head One or his beautiful anus? beautiful shining hair on... No. Just no. Just no. don't do that. I was sat next to Chris in the press screening and I could feel him deflate and feel the vi- the pure vibes coming off Chris when they did the, the initial Chewie death. Mm. And then it was almost worse when they brought him back. Well, it's because I didn't believe it for a second. Mm. Because it's one of those things where, you know, if you don't see a yeah. reaction shot of the person inside being jostled uh, around as a ship uh, is, is caught in this yeah. force battle, then clearly Chewie's not on it. Um, and having gone back and seen it again, yes, you're absolutely right. The, the second transport is there. But mm-hmm. we are clearly clearly meant to believe that he's mm-hmm. on that transport. Yeah. The other transport we don't see taken off. It's a bit it's, cheap. Yeah. It's very cheap. It's very cheap. Um, and also, this film also does... It does this thing a couple of times, actually, not just in terms of fake-outs, but does this thing a couple of times where uh, they, they discover that Chewie is alive mm-hmm. and so they decide to go and rescue him mm-hmm. and they rescue him and then literally the next scene they get recaptured. Mm-hmm. And which means that what we've just seen is pointless, utterly pointless. And it does it earlier on as well, where Ray uh, talks to CG Leia and goes, oh, here's your brother's lightsaber back. I don't deserve this lightsaber. I'm, yes. not, I'm not ready for it yet. And then literally two scenes later, yeah. Leia gives it back to her. Well, yeah, what was the point of there's, that then? There's other ways to say I'm not ready for this. Like, don't... Give it, and it, it's literally again. It feels like they're they're engineering to the footage they have. They have footage of her giving over the lightsaber. Therefore, they have to have a reason for. And it, it's like n- there needs to be more storytelling craft than this. There just has to be. She doesn't have to have the lightsaber in that scene. You can still have Leia give her the lightsaber without having to have her give it back first. It's just it's really untidy, and and it and it does mean that all of these moments have less weight than they should do. Um, and it gets to a point where you don't take anything seriously and you're sort of sitting there in, in the cinema kind of braced for something to not mean anything. Um, I, I guess that's why they have to have uh, Kylo Ben disappear when mm. he actually dies because otherwise we'd be sitting there going, I mean, are they just going to reanimate each other forever? What the hell? Ugh. I think with the Chewy thing as well, it's it's a, a corner they've written themselves into, but it does propel the plot partly as well that Chewie has the dagger and then he's the one that's taken and then they think him mm. and the dagger have been destroyed so they have to try and work out a different plan but then when they find out who he's alive that means the dagger's still around so they have to go and get him and yeah. get the dagger which mm-hmm. yeah that that is something that they've written in for themselves but at the same time is I guess is part mm. of how that initial adventure first half unfolds kind of happens yeah just a couple of last questions before we mm. wrap this up um, and again apologies if we haven't got around to your question or if we've answered it but maybe not credited you because you know we, we've just talked about it in general conversation yeah how do the oh. TIE fighters follow them in light speed skipping that's I did wonder that as well mm. any ideas slipstream Slip Mar- not only a Mark stream. Hamill film but um Perhaps they are. Perhaps there's a thing about slipstreaming in hyperspace. We do know as well. In Last Jedi, they've developed the technology to track people through yeah, hyperspace. But that was but instantaneously. Yeah. Also, Poe at that moment is more reckless than 
I think we've seen anyone yeah. in the story. That's nearly suicidal what he's doing in that sequence. Because we've, we've been told in the Star Wars universe, right? I'm not just making this up from Star Trek. In the Star Wars universe, if you get your calculations wrong for hyperspace, you could rematerialize inside a star. Yeah. So you have to actually have he's, calculated. He's lucky dipping. Mm. Yeah. Gets away with it three times. I mean, yeah, he's but he's literally lucky dipping around what look like populated worlds or at least, you know, populated with stuff. It's a dark beginning Obstacles. to your movie to have your heroes slam into a school, but, you know, it, it, it <laughs> may be something he was that he one could... hell of a pilot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just lucky. Uh, Matthew Faggers uh, at Pun Together asks, does The Rise of Skywalker end up making a half-decent comment on parentage and legacy and that ultimately you're not your family slash heritage and what's important is who you are slash choose to be? And this ties into what we've discussed a little bit already but about the Ray's choice to become mm. a Skywalker at the end of the movie. I feel it might have been more interesting dramatically had she chosen to retain the name Palpatine and reclaim it and make something good of it. Mm. Introducing yourself in a bar like, hi, I'm Ray Palpatine. And everyone bar goes, clears. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, no, I think that's exactly what it's meant to be, question person, I've, whose name I have forgotten, sorry. Um, but I, I don't think it, it tells that story quite as well as it should have done just because of the whole Palpatine issue that we've raised. Um, I think there's also the, I think that would have been stronger again if they had done more with Finn's story. If they had had Finn inspire those other stormtroopers to rebel, to stand up, to fight back. Um, because that would have been a nice parallel then that lots of people are choosing their destiny no matter what the universe had, had written out for them. And it would have like added hundreds more people standing essentially behind Ray doing the same kind of thing. And that would have really made that point hit home. As it is, what we have is we're told that the Imperial fleet is full of basically press ganged children. And then they blow up the Imperial fleet without a second thought for those children. So it doesn't, it's not a film that tells that story terribly well, I think, at the end of the day. For me, it's my favourite thing about the film. The, the 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 Ray arc, Ray choosing who she wants to be, choosing her own name, rejecting her destiny, being understandably freaked out when she finds out who she is related to. Um, I sort of don't mind the retconning of the you are nobody because I I like what they did with it in this one as well. They both ideas feel valid and it ultimately adds up to her having to choose who she wants to be, not her identity being dependent on who her parents are. But Both a, of those ideas sort of steer a, towards that. There's a thread that runs through the movie as well, Ben, though, where, and again, I may be paraphrasing and I apologise because I only saw it a few hours ago, so it should be fresh in my mind. But the line, don't be afraid of who you are, is repeated to her at least mm. twice. Now, admittedly once by freaky, evil, dark Ray in the vision who has those, you know, Ian Holm going evil in the hub in the uh, Lord of the Rings teeth for a second she flashes those teeth at, at Ray for some reason where do they come from I'm sure that's not just being part of a Sith that means that you have sharp teeth <laughs> but um, the end of the film betrays that don't be afraid of who you are but and then she did she 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 rejects who she is so she is a Palpatine and she, she, she rejects should, the name but she doesn't reject who she is she stays true to who she is which is a good and caring person who believes no, in the get light. That, yeah. and the, so I think for me, it's it's that it, it does but rehabilitate the name. But you know, yeah. Yeah. also, is it a Palpatine only trait that you have Force lightning abilities? I always assumed that was just a Sith yeah, thing. Yeah, me too. But I think it's meant to be an early indication that she's right. a Palpatine that she when she fires the the lightning bolts. I thought it might have been interesting had you know she actually had more problems controlling the the Sith part of mm. of her as mm. as the movie goes on. Um, but, you know, 
I do like the idea that um, this idea that her and Ben are sort of stronger together, but they're trapped on opposite sides. And when he's the one who sort of pushes her to reach this extra extent of her power, but it's in quite a dark way when you, it sort of indicates that if these two were both on the same side and working together, they would be helping each other get yeah. stronger and more powerful together. I quite like that as an idea mm. from that yeah, ship scene. A few people have asked... Uh, James Price 101 is asking specifically, do you think one of those oldies hanging around with palps in the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi is Ray's mum? <laughs> <laughs> um, or Granny. Do they mean Granny? Uh, I hadn't thought about that, really. But, uh, you know, because the movie introduces and it moves at such a breakneck speed, you don't get a chance to really stop and think, like, hang on a second. So if they're now, if that's Ray, if that's Palpatine's son, who clearly isn't a chip off the old block and has somehow escaped the clutches of his dad mm -hmm. and I'm not even sure the timeline works does it? So let's see if the if Palpatine Jr. is born when he's a senator on Naboo uh-huh ish is that like 60 years ago? Ray Damn. is what age is this meant to be? She's well, made <laughs> I'll write you I, I know you but you know I <laughs> It's just, you know, so she's what, 20? Let's call yeah, her I was going to say like space 20. Yeah, space. A, space, a space 20. All right. So she was born of um, Jodie Comer and your other fella, Billy Howell. Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't Billy work. Billy Howell. And maybe she's about space 20 as well. Maybe slightly older, 25. Let's, let's be generous and say like, yeah, 25. But we know that Return of the Jedi finishes 30 years before yeah, Force right. Awakens begins. Yeah, the numbers don't add up right. Unless, right, just before, right, so he has a kid when he's still, he's, he's Emperor, but he still looks like Chancellor Palpatine, right? So he has this kid and then he gets super into like weird shit that turns him into a, a raisin. And that's, okay, yep. so that, that happens only just after his son's birth. And that's why his son presumably rejects him. He's like, ew, you're a you're raisin. raisin. And he, he, I don't like raisins. <laughs> and I'm a grape. <laughs> if you were a sultana, that would be one thing, but I uh -huh. can't stand raisins. And in fact, it might be worse. He might be a current. Um, well, there's a current flowing through him, that's for sure. Hey! <laughs> so, uh, so he's gone off and, and, you know, lived his life. Oh, Spin-off idea. Raisin Arizona. A Star oh. Wars story. Hey. It's Palps as a dad. Raise, raisin Arizona. Oh my Arizona. Arizona. They found Earth. That's so incredible. Who is right. in Arizona? Okay, I feel that we've stumbled down a dark alley here, but I can't let go until we. Oh, no, this is dude. this is a bit like when we discussed the Infinity Stones and where they were in in, in the Endgame spoiler special. But okay, let's pretend we have a whiteboard here, mm -hmm. right? So Force Awakens, Ray is let's say space twenty, mm -hmm. right? Okay, yeah. which means that she's now a space twenty five or so. But okay, more say, like twenty two really, because yeah, it's, it's quite Last short. Jedi straight after Force Awakens, and then this is maybe like two years after that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you? Do you know that they've changed the date system in Star Wars? I didn't know they had one in the first place. Yeah, but so well done. They used to they used to count from the Battle of Yavin, so it was before and after the Battle of Yavin. Uh -huh. They now count from the Star Killer Incident. Oh Christ! I know. So we are. Uh, so zero is when Star Killer Base, which was originally the planet Ilum, where the oh, who, who, who doesn't crystals, who doesn't know that where the crystals that power the Jedi's lightsabers come from. You see, which is why it was so powerful. Kyber crystals, I believe. Kyber crystals is mm. right. Right. Okay. okay anyway. So, 
Ray is a space 20 when Force Awakens, even if she was space 30, all right? But she's not 30 because she doesn't look 30. So let's say space 21, key to the door, right? She's 21 when Force Awakens begins, which means that when she was born, it was after Palpatine had died. So how is Palpatine sending people after her? But of course, he's not dead. He's still alive. But at that point... It's very heavily implied that but he she was... remembers being dropped off. So she's at least two and probably older when she's dropped off. I would say four. Off. I mean, I can remember back when I was two. Really? Yeah, but not I can remember when I was things. three. I sat on my grandmother's uh, coffee table and spilled hot, scalding hot uh, coffee over myself. I remember going to Mont Saint-Michel when I was two and climbing loads of steps and asking my dad to buy me a doll and he said No. Ben, I think when I was maybe three or four, um, I remember being in my uh, nana's garden and seeing a hedgehog for the first time. We named him Spike and we fed him cat food. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I remember watching my parents leave in a spaceship um, and they never came back and I became a scavenger. This is officially only one year after the Starkiller Base incident right now in this movie. Well, hang on. It's only one year after Last Jedi. Only one year after... Um, wow. No, okay. only one year after Force Awakens. Right. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, then again, I guess Return of the Jedi only takes place a few months after yeah. the end of Empire Strikes Back, right? Okay, so, okay. But I don't think that, that, that the math doesn't work there, right? Is it the... No, okay, so her, so she's a grandchild, remember? So She's a grandchild. Right, so, so when she was, like, let's say five, let's be generous, she remembers it quite clearly, and also the actress looks about five or six. Okay. Let's say five or six, she's left on Jakku, so that Jakku. is Jakku. So that's like fifteen. That's midway between the Battle of Endor and now, quote unquote, or ah. between midway between the Battle of Endor and isn't it Force Awakens? Yeah, because Force yeah. Awakens is thirty years after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So fifteen years so 15 on years. from be- her being left yeah. is when we meet her. So yeah. So you think yeah. she was okay? So was, so midway point, she's left on Jakku. Let's say so midway point, she's left in Jakku, but she's already five by that point. Let's say generous. Yeah. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. So, so twenty years back from that means that whenever Palpatine's son and his Mrs. Palpatine mm-hmm. conceived Ray, mm-hmm. okay, because she wasn't born of midichlorians like no, so she Anakin was Skywalker, born let's say ten years after the events the of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, so that means that for Palpatine's son, who looks pretty young there, he looks mid. 20s? Let's, let's call him 25 as well. Let's call him 25. Yeah. So that means that Palpatine must have No, that's bumped. fine. It's fine. He was born 15 years before... Sorry. He was born 25 years before um, so, Ray, uh, which puts him only about five years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. When so who's Chancellor, fucking Palpatine when he looks like that? Nobody... He, Oh, yeah, you're right. He already looks shit. Some weird, freaky Sith cultist. Maybe he's just got a really good moisturiser and he was but, actually but, but, born a little bit older. But we, we always we think that... I'm sorry, listeners, by the way, but um, <laughs> if you think New Hope, right? Because I think a lot of people think that New Hope takes 30, takes 30 years after Revenge of the Sith, but it doesn't because Luke is not 30. No. In A New Hope, he's what, 18, 19? That's kind of what we're meant to be in that ballpark. So, oh... Uh, this is actually making my brain hurt. So, you're you're saying so from from the end of Revenge of the Sith mm-hmm. to the beginning of The Force Awakens. 
20s. Is, basically. Wait, no. No, no, no. no? From Revenge of the Sith Revenge to of the A New Sith, Hope. Prequel oh, trilogy. Is 18 years. 18. Plus 30. Plus two and then or two or so in the middle. Let's Hope call it two to be to easy. Force Awakens, 32 odd so years. So it's about 50 years So 50 years. Yeah. So what we're saying is that... Palpatine. It's actually fine. Ray's dad just has to be thirty when she's born. Okay, so that's totally. He's a young-looking thirty. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so you're thinking he 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 knocked up the lady who don't know who that is who okay. bore his child. I can actually tell you, it's been fifty-four years total. Fifty-four years. So we're thinking he was young, vibrant, feral, thirty-four-year-old, non-raisined, <laughs> Ian McDiarmid. When he was on Coruscant, maybe maybe going to Naboo, mm-hmm. just for a weekend away, got a little bit. Now, you know, was this like a part of a relationship? Is there a Mrs. Palpatine we didn't know about? Who is it? Or was it a one night stand? Or was he cloning himself? What happened? You'll move Ryan Johnson's trilogy. <laughs> Do we think Palpatine is a considerate lover? Oh God, no! We don't think. We do not think about that ever. But I can't stop thinking about it. No, stop thinking about it. Do. Do you think he looks at his penis and goes, "No"? Have I done this joke already? Rise! I have, haven't I? I have. Yeah, I think you might have done so many times. Damn it! I've only got two jokes about Palpatine's dick. Oh, what a shame! And they're both exhausted. Oh well, let's move on. At A.A. Shu asks, do you think Leia dies during the fight on the Death Star wreckage or when Kylo dies at the end because that's when she disappears? Mm. My theory is she is the good and the cause for the turn in him in the third act. She's alive with him until he dies. It's an interesting theory. I did wonder why she only force ghosts uh, when Ben force Mm. ghosts as well. Yeah, presumably she ties herself to him in some way. So until he's done she's not yeah. totally done just wish she just she done it earlier maybe had a chat with him after you know he kills his dad maybe i don't know or just, i don't know before or maybe before try to reach out to him at some point but you know hey but this is another thing where if they had actually followed through with some of the story threads from say the the last jedi things might have felt more elegant because if you had had poe in a leadership position visibly of the rebellion um or the resistance then you could have had Leia sort of freed of that responsibility. And we don't really see him take that on in this film until no. after she's dead. So if, if the answer to why didn't she try this before is because she knew it would kill her and she couldn't be spared, then that makes a certain sort of sense. Yeah. Um, but she still didn't feel she could be spared because we still don't see um, Poe in that role, if that's the role that she was grooming him for, which it kind of seemed like it was in The Last Jedi. Do you know yeah, what I mean? No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, I get that. Well, one last thing before we go. Mm. Uh, the Han Solo cameo. Mm. The second time, as someone pointed out, I think it was uh, John Rain, Mr. Ken Shabby, on Twitter, pointed out the second time that Chris Terrio has gone to the well of having a major character in a movie. Oh, yeah. Visited by the ghost of his dad, who then gives him a bit of a pep talk. Mm. Same thing happens in Batman vs. Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. When that moment of crisis, Superman is visited up a mountain, no less, by the ghost by of Kevin ghosts. Costner. No, yes, no, sorry, the no, ghost just one ghost, just, just one, one ghost. ghost, the ghost of Kevin Costner passed. Um, this time, Kylo Ren becomes Ben Solo because of a visitation of a manifestation mm-hmm. or a manifestation, if you will, okay. of his dad. And it's interesting because you know there's obviously echoes in the dialogue and whatnot. But what do you think is happening there? And did you buy it? I bought it. 
it, for me, of it's just... You did. You're, you're, I, you're, so, you're so optimistic. I said on the other podcast, that's the bit that made me cry first time around. <laughs> um, the I, For me, that is just, as Han says, it's a memory, it's an externalization of his inner conflict, which I don't mind them visualizing that. We've seen all the way through that he is racked with inner conflict um, for the sake of having a really nice cameo from Harrison Ford, for having a lovely cyclical moment, for having the flip reverse of The Force Awakens moment, for having Han saying, I know, when Ben can't quite bring himself to say the words, I love you, and but you still get the meaning of that because of Han saying, I know. Um, I will, I'd rather have that and not have to interrogate too much the logic of them having that conversation because I think it just works as a character beat but yeah. I didn't I didn't hate it I have to say I quite liked it no, I'm not looking for hate Helen no I know but I'm just saying I quite liked it hate leads to fear <laughs> the other and the rest Mary's of the quote fear leads to suffering yeah. suffering yes um, I think that's pretty much it I think yeah. we're I think we're pretty much exhausted there's lots and lots of questions uh, obviously the people sent in but I think we've we've uh, Luke's hair is so off-putting the entire time. Oh. <laughs> Says Joe Farnsworth, ninety-eight. It's a bit wiggier this time. Um, He's had a like a force blow dry. <laughs> well, the force can do that because <laughs> I actually genuinely asked Adam Driver about this because mm. I'm like, well, if Poda, oh sorry, if Kylo Ren wears his helmet the whole time, how does he have such bouncy, lustrous yes. hair? And he said he uses the force. So actually, that is hundred percent canon and definitely right. <laughs> Glad uh, I could help. Mick A eighty six asks: Has your view in the movie changed or solidified with extra viewings? It has. I think, like James, I went in with higher expectations that the movie couldn't meet. Um, unlike James, when I saw it again, it sort of I went in with no expectations and it was fine. Um, so I think I was a I was a bit disappointed. I was more disappointed the first time than the second time but the second time I did still find myself rolling my eyes at certain decisions and certain beats um, and I still like the things I liked uh, I still like the Ray and the Ben stuff um, I thought that was generally very good um, with the nits that we've picked here of course mm-hmm. um, and I just feel like that the film around it was not always as generous to its other characters as I would have liked to see yeah, I have to say my opinion sort of, yeah, has solidified. It's still largely the same as when I first saw it. The second time I came out feeling warmer and fuzzier than I did the first time. Even warmer and even, even fuzzier. Yeah, I mean, I was warm and fuzzy first time round, but compared to the first viewing, especially of The Force Awakens, which I had the same experience that James had, mm. it's one of my favourite cinematic experiences I've ever had. I didn't come out sort of skipping in that sense, but I did really like it. I think every time I've seen this... I've just really enjoyed it. I find it a really enjoyable movie that I've been seeing with with friends and with my parents. We had a really nice time going to see it. Um, and I have issues with it or I think there are things that are we've had to sort of discuss different interpretations of quite a few plot points in this because I think one of the failings of the film is that it doesn't make those moments particularly clear at mm. times. So I think there are things wrong with it. But overall, um, I just find it a really enjoyable film that gives me the closure that I want for those new characters who I really love, even if I don't love it as much as the um, other two sequel films. Yeah, fair enough. I, I do think, you know, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but I, I just think it could have been... I think what's frustrating about it is it had all the ingredients to tell essentially this story, but in a slightly more streamlined, more elegant, more impactful way. Mm. I think that's what's 
quite frustrating. And, you know, we, we, we got, I realised that they had a big, huge um, problem with the story they wanted to tell and the story that in, in many ways they'd set up to tell um, in Carrie Fisher's sad death. I, I get that and that that presented a real challenge. But I do think that there were elements right there in this film that they could have used to meet that challenge just in a slightly better way than they did. Um, and, and so that's why we're nitpicking, I think, as much as we are, is that there there are the there is the potential here, there are the yeah. materials here to make it absolutely sing. And what it does is kind of hum. I think in, in their eagerness to overturn, despite what they have said, much of the Last Jedi, I think they box themselves into a corner. Yeah, I think I think they I do th- themselves a disservice with things yeah. like Rose. We haven't actually talked that much about Rose, but you know, Chris Terrio said over the break since we recorded the last thing, he he said, "Look, the reason that there isn't much Rose in this is we had to leave someone we loved." with Carrie you know we wanted someone there that you cared about because we had so little with her that you needed to have that sort of connection to the base but then they don't even give her enough no. that we're connected to her so that just doesn't work as an explanation so so you know decisions like that are intensely frustrating because we love her we want to see her we want to spend more time with her and we don't get the chance and we don't get the compensation that they sort of promise us in in that kind of storytelling decision you know we don't she doesn't link us to Carrie because she can't because there aren't those scenes are not there so it, that kind of thing is just it's frustrating it's, it's frustrating because you know it's frustrating obviously for Kelly Marie Tran who's had to do an entire you know press tour for this movie whilst barely been in it and uh, it's just frustrating because it, it does feel like they've they've you know we talked about it in the last podcast. And I, I don't want to uh, go over this in the same old ground, but it, it feels a little bit like the people who complained about the Last Jedi won mm. a little bit that they were listened to, that they were kowtowed to. And I'm sure that wasn't their intention, but it certainly has come out that way. But even things like, for example, at the end of the Last Jedi, and it might have been bravado on Luke's part, but he he says specifically his last words to Kylo are "See you around, kid." And then obviously he dies because of the, the force thing. But again, I thought that they were going somewhere with that. I thought that you know they were going to go somewhere in terms of Luke having studied the Jedi Order and the mm. Jedi religion so much and been able to do things that the force projection that, that he does at the end of The Last Jedi is beyond anything we've seen any Jedi do in any of the films. And I thought that maybe he was going to be a bigger part of this movie as a different kind of force ghost. Instead, he shows up for that scene on Akhto which, you know, with the Leia's lightsaber MacGuffin that just out of nowhere that they've totally retconned, which doesn't sit well with me. And the very first thing he does, and again, Terrio has said, and people are wondering why Terrio wasn't on this podcast. You know, as, uh, we would have loved to have had JJ and, mm-hmm. and Chris Terrio on this podcast. And, but when they came into London, they didn't have time. I don't think Terrio actually even came into London for the premiere. So the interviews he's been doing with people have been in the States. And, you know, I'm sure he might not want to be in the podcast after having listened to this. But we would love to have them on the podcast one day and, and actually sit down with them and pick their brains and, and talk to them about the decisions that they've made. But it, it strikes me that, you know, he has said in these interviews that the, the very fact that Luke is introduced uh, catching the lightsaber that, that Ray throws away and he goes, you know, Jedi's weapon deserves more respect, which is, to me, a direct revocation of what he does at the beginning of The Last Jedi when he throws away his own lightsaber. And, you know, and then one of the very next things he says is she goes, well, you came here to, you know, get away from it all and, you know, hide out. And he goes, I was wrong. Which, again, is not the conclusion that the Force at The Last Jedi arrived at. 
the conclusion of the force that the last Jedi arrived at was actually that he was he was right in a way to do so, and that because it gave him the perspective that he needed on on who he was and then on 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 what the Jedi Order needed, and he needed that time away because it was an interesting thing. The decision, and this is all because of a decision that JJ made with Lawrence Kasdan in the Force Awakens. They made a decision going into that movie to take Luke Skywalker and turn him into a mystery and turn him into a MacGuffin. And at the end of the movie, he has rejected the 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 call to arms of, uh, uh, if you will, of being a Jedi so much so that he is, he's put himself away. He's, he's, he's in seclusion on this, on this island, on this island planet. So I thought Ryan Johnson did a really good job of actually justifying why he had done that because he was written into a corner by J.J. Abrams. And then he kind of, he doesn't really necessarily write J.J. into a corner by, by killing Luke because Luke's still on the board and there's an interesting, there's lots of potential there, but I feel that it just wasn't, Mm. Used and it wasn't delivered, and you know they they didn't take the baton and run with it. But you know, hey, I, I completely get that. My, my feeling on it is slightly different because for me, the conclusion of the Last Jedi, yeah. you have that moment where um, where Luke says everything you just said was wrong. I will not be the Last Jedi. So for me, his conclusion is actually there is there is still hope for the Jedi with this sort of young new hero in the form of Rey that the sort of crusty old version of the Jedi is sort of gone but there is hope even for that institution with Rey and for me I, I, I do like the scene with uh, Luke in this because for me it is him sort of yeah repeating the lesson back to Rey that she taught, taught him, to him in, yeah. in The Last Jedi but it's all differing perspectives and I think there's a lot in this film that it, it depends on how you feel about The Last Jedi or how you see the events of The Last Jedi which through being a much more sort of open and interrogative and interesting film leads to multiple interpretations mm. Mm. Yeah. yep um, just one last thing Michael Liz asks what were the Knights of Ren meant to do I know people were excited about the prospect of them but having seen the film twice I have no idea why did I miss something they stand no. around and wear black and yeah. make yeah. action figures. And they probably were listen to a lot of heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. uh, as I watched the film today, as I watched uh, Kylo go through them at the end, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to call him Ben <laughs> and, uh, at the end of the movie. Uh, I just might have been quite funny if he'd gone every time he's killing one of them. Go, I'm really sorry, Bob. Uh, you know, <laughs> sorry, Kevin. <laughs> I've, I've worked with you guys for years. You're my friends, but you know, hey ho. Genuinely, they seem to exist mostly to track mud all over the uh, Star Destroyer. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. And to arrest Chewie yeah. and then not do anything else but the other people that they know are on the ship. Yeah, they're, they're, um, the, they're this film's Boba Fett. And mm-hmm. I've said it before yep. and I'll say it again. So, so you love them. So you want to you wanna see more of them. You want to collect action figures. Never! And uh, someone, I don't have her name, pointed out that Chewie, uh, it's not Chewie, someone whose name I don't have wrote in to say that did we notice that 3PO's last line in this movie, is his first line in A New Hope. Oh, no. Did you hear that? That's what he says. Oh, that's sweet. Did you hear that? Then obviously in New Hope he says, they shut down the main reactor. Doesn't say that here. Just says, did you hear that? That's nice. It's very nice. That's good. There we go. Anyway, that is it for our The Rise of Skywalker spoiler special. Until we meet again, it is goodbye from Ben Travis. Hey, hey! Hey, hey! <laughs> okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Babu Freak! It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Hey! It's goodbye from James Dyer. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <sighs> <sighs>
uncanny. <laughs> also really arousing, Ben. You just, no. No, 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 no. Bad, bad, Chris. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to think of a third joke about Emperor Palpatine's penis. Really don't feel obliged. I feel you need rule of three, Helen. Mm, no. Rule of three. It doesn't apply here. Right. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. 